Podcast 62, and we have a big announcement that you guys already heard with the Sunandani Marketing Intern Spotlight number four, and we're going to continue to talk about it because we love it that much. Absolutely. So this new thing is a podcast support program that Anchor is running. What's it specifically called, Andrew? It is called Listener Support. Listener Support. So on this Listener Support, it gives the marketing intern, the listener, an option to donate however much money a month that they would like, whether this be $1, $10, however much you feel that we're, that, um, that we provide to you. At the end of the day, it's about the value we bring to you. And you can got, you got, and you marketing interns have the opportunity to rate that number, to create that number, to create that value amount. Yes. And it's all up to you. And you couldn't have said it any better, Andrew, whether you think we're, a, we bring the value of a Chipotle burrito every month, you know, seven, $8 or we bring the value of a happy hour drink, you know, three to four dollars, or maybe even like a nice cocktail at a at a at like a country club that you shouldn't be at. That's like ten dollars. Like it's all it's all up to what you guys want and or and what you guys believe. And this is a new thing for Anchor, so we are just kind of um, we're the guinea go, pigs. We're the we're the guinea pigs, and that's another really cool aspect of this listener support product with Anchor. We are on the front, the forefront of something for probably the first time ever in the back pocket career, and I couldn't be more proud to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, going back to the point, I mean, if you if you don't feel like uh, you feel comfortable with donating money, that's totally fine. But we still would love your support, and what we mean by that is, instead of donating a dollar or ten dollars, we would love for you guys to reach out and text us maybe once a month and say, hey, that podcast kicked butt, or. I like that you guys did this or comment on one of our Instagram posts or like one of our posts. Like that's all we really want from you guys. We just want some feedback. We want some support. We want to know that we're on the right direction and we just appreciate it. I truly get so excited when someone hits our DMs and just talks podcast. And I, again, so show us your support, whether you believe it's on the anchor listener support page or just through a simple message to us. You create that value. We're not asking for anything different than what we originally intended with this podcast. Absolutely. And uh, should we should we transition? I mean, and show our marketing interns. You know, like we have we have two sponsors, MB Outdoors and Skyline Specs. We have never made a penny off those guys, and we continue to run those ads six uh, week in and week out because we love those brands. We support those guys and love what they do. And we will do anything to support those kind of guys, just like they would support us. Absolutely. It's all about bringing awareness to their products, not about making money. We've never made a dime except off of the, not money value, but just pure joy and gratitude of the the, um, collaboration we've endured with them thus far. Exactly. So we're going to give you a little quick ad read in speed fashion of MB Outdoors and then Skyline Specs. To start it off, MB Outdoors, what is your favorite part about the outdoors? Is it the preparation portion when you're weeks in advance trying to plan out every detail making sure you have packed everything effectively and in that same time very minimally well that is my favorite part and the anticipation prior to the outdoor extravaganzas is also another part that i thoroughly enjoy but while i'm doing this packing process you know what item i never forget it's the most essential part it's the Midwest Backcountry Outdoors gear. Why don't I ever forget MB out, MBO? It's because MB Outdoors has a mission that expresses my lifestyle. A lifestyle that is consistent with packing your ruck and grabbing your friends on a path into the outdoors. 
I dare you to join and be outdoors.com deck. Absolutely. Promo code back pocket. They got all kinds of gear on, on their website. They're doing giveaways all the time at, on their Instagram MB outdoors official. Now let me talk to you a little bit about skyline specs. First off, these are the most, these are the damn coolest sunglasses I've ever put on. These are about the only sunglasses I've ever put on. I'll be honest. I've never been a, a, a spec guy. I, I, my body, my eyes never yearn to be shaded. But when, uh, when I came across Scott Ballard and Skyline Specs, my whole life was changed. I did not realize that you could pay for affordable sunglasses that represent something you believe in and, can, and they're UV protected and they make you look just fly as hell. I'll take that any day of the week. And what's cool about Skyline Specs is, you know, it's not about the Skyline Specs brand. It's all about being rooted in your community. It's all about representing where you're from or representing your company. You know, they are all about the consumer. And I think that's what uh, I've learned the most about Skyline Specs. And that's what I'm going to preach the most about Skyline Specs. So go on over at SkylineSpecs.com. Use promo code BACKPOCKET, 15% off. You know the drill. But also... Look away for giveaway. Look out for giveaways on Instagram, Skyline underscore specs, and they're just gonna they're gonna wow you. They're gonna give you some specs. Trust that, me. That concludes all our collaboration. Absolutely. Enjoy this podcast. Intro music. It's your time to shine. I'm just an ordinary average guy. My friends all Today is August 13th, and the boys from the back pocket are here with headphones on. Decky, with headphones, how are we? Oh, super creative, dude. Uh, I'm going to call you Andy Dome, because you just it's making you, your head look a little more round. You, uh, you kind of look like, the, you know the Scott Van Pelt logo, how he's got the bald head with the, the earphones? I feel like we're just enabling that right now. I'm vastly approaching that look, by yeah. the way. Also, we're both wearing hats, too, you know, just because we're worried about the, the texture of these headphones going full full skin, you know, I'm worried about that. Yeah, that would force my Scott Van, Van Pelt look even more. Yeah. But hey, we're here. We're now. Podcast 62. What is it? Season 2, episode 27, I want to say, off the top of my head. Well, we'll go with that. We got a big podcast today. We also have the longest podcast we've ever had in the whole world. So we're just going to make it, you know, we, we're not worried about time. We're never worried about time because, you know, we're in time. So, uh, yeah, we got a long podcast today. Gordy Thomas, CEO of Modi Sports. Guy's just got an unbelievable story. Andrew, how he's, I mean, he's kind of related to you-ish. So you want to you wanna detail that a little bit? So Gordy Thomas, I got connected with him through my grandfather. Uh, Bill Goodhue, who we have talked about uh, numerous times on this podcast, he is donned as the grandfather of Silicon Valley. Uh, Gordy went along the way to mention that Bill Goodhue is uh, the grandfather of shrink wrap software. And if I got that correctly... Peachtree as well. Peachtree. Mm-hmm. I didn't really... I'm not a software guy, so most of what he was talking about kind of went over my head. But I picked up on the... The things that I always do, which are the interpersonal skills that Gordy brought to the table and everything that he grasped through his career. And those were kind of the questions that I continue to ask. Deck was kind of a little more locked in on the software. And that's why we're a balancing act. Yeah, that, that like I could just hear. I mean, I kind of dominated some of those interviews or questions just because I was like really interested on how he grew a software business back in the day and how like old school that is. But it was is something I learned in class because, you know, they. We, we learned something more advanced than that at that point. But you got to understand, like, what a hard drive is and mm-hmm. software crap anyways. But 
Dude, it was phenomenal. He's like, got so many stories. He's got a story for everything. And we just had a, we wanted to hear him. And at the same time, we knew our marketing interns would enjoy them. This, this is a podcast you probably will not be able to complete in one sitting. And that's all right. Because at least you can have three or four more sittings. Look forward to every opportunity you have a chance to listen to this podcast. Because, you know, it was interesting because we went on for probably an hour and 40 minutes. And... It wasn't until the end where I was like, man, this guy's really turning it on now. Like, as we were like, holy cow, this is the longest interview we've ever had. Gordy was like, hell yeah, let's keep it going, boys. He's and got he the just, endurance. He, yeah. He told us that we could work 24 hours a day. We both looked at each other like, hell no. But at the same time, we knew Gordy. If we were working for Gordy, we could work 24 oh, hours. Oh, I'd work 24 hours for Gordy. Like, no questions asked. And uh, have we even talked about our average quality yet? No, let's dive into that. Okay, yeah, let's let's get into that. So Gordy Thomas will be coming in later. We got the average quality. We're going to give you a little review like we told you about on the end of last podcast. We're going to review what we had happen to us this past week. Gary, Gary V. Declan attended a little event by him. And then I went to Lollapalooza. Uh, so we'll, we'll mention that stuff. And then, you know, the back end, always get to the back end because that's how we finish strong with a what did you learn and a feel-good story. Absolutely. So average quality, though, this week. Let's, in the present moment here, the average quality is uh, we have a lot of chords around. So we are uh, a bunch of inexperienced podcasters who have now been given, handed, received these unbelievable mics mixer now we got headphones figured that all out now we got the full studio and w- there's so many cords dude i don't i don't understand where the cords even go at this point i think uh i stepped on every single cord possible especially when i need to like reach and grab something but i don't want to physically stand up and maneuver myself around i just step on a cord yeah or when i'm like getting up or trying to like move my arm i just like brush cords and i'm like yeah you know whatever well, well this wide-legged stance of yours is not a cord pleaser no it's a it's a cord rack you know you sit down it's like hey put your cords here might as well right this this is where i'm supposed to be i'm, I'm the cord guy i guess another thing too is uh at least it's all working you know, we, we put the cords from one end to the other. We connected cords. Not That's a pretty uh, pat-on-the-back moment, I think, for us. I think that checks out. Yeah, and I, but uh, another average quality, I guess, going off of that was the paying attention to the small details when you're setting up your podcast recording studio because it's not easy. And we when we figured out this headphone amp thing, I didn't realize that there's a difference in, like, audio jacks, so, like, a mono jack versus a stereo jack. I just blindly ordered something on Amazon that we just didn't need, and uh, so that's my bad. Took a hit to the company card. It was like two bucks. Just want to let you know. Uh, we can write that off. I okay. think that was a was we can write it off as a donation. Yeah, to whatever company would bought it from Amazon. So Jeff Bezos, two dollars more rich at this point. So, so that that'll go a long way for Jeff, but for us, that's a a tax. A tax cut that we won't be able to break. Yeah, that's it's tough. It's unfortunate, but you know what? We're here. We're now. And uh, you know, you mentioned earlier how Gordy thinks we can work twenty four hours in a day. Well, this leads perfectly into our newest segment, which is old guys talking mess. So Gordy wasn't talking mess, but Gordy was an old guy. We'll we'll soak that. He said it a few times. Yeah, he, he's like, I can't. Uh... Joe Dirt the Ragman. No, what what, what was he calling himself? It was a phenomenal saying. Joe shit the rag, man. That's what it was. Okay. Anyways, but... It, he's the CEO. He's the CEO, but he does everything. He'll fix the printer, he'll wash the dishes, and he'll run an entire company. And paint your back porch. Absolutely. So he, he does everything. And, you know, we, we, we love that out of him. And... So that got us thinking. Yep. We need to start sharing stuff that we had, experiences, 
we have those curbside story segments. However, those don't really detail enough of about, you know, old guys talking mess. Yeah, old guys talking mess is more so geared toward the the detail. The the actual like, oh, I'm like there. You know, I'm I'm right there next to Declan. He's telling the story right next to Andrew at Lollapalooza. Like you're fully immersed in it, so we're going to be trying to be a little better storytellers right now. And uh, we're going to take a stab at it. I'm probably I'm not I'm not very good at at doing that, but do you want to start us off, or do you want? Yeah, to... yeah, I'll, okay. I'll I'll throw it in. I'll Please. throw it in the wind. So uh, this past Friday, if anyone was listening to the back end, I went to Gary Vaynerchuk live in Rochester, Minnesota. What I didn't realize at an hour and a half before the show started was that Rochester is about an hour and a half away, and I I'm just so bad geographically with the areas surrounding Minneapolis. Like I just can't get it together. And one of my things is I like blindly assume, you know, things are closer than they are or just not really caring until the very end until you have to care about where that this place was. So anyways, I ended up showing up late to the thing, but it worked to my advantage. So I bought so the Gary V tickets ranged from $70 to $1285, like an absurd amount absurd price range and there was like nine different kinds of tickets you could have bought. And I bought the cheapest one, you know, being the the poor kid that I am. I bought the cheapest tickets, and I walk in there, and there are a series of people that were speaking before, like Giselle Ugardi, which is the reason we found out about it. She was phenomenal. Uh, then there was this girl named Rachel Peterson, who she she grew this like million dollar social me- social marketing company, um, and she was on welfare and like had a, she was a single mom, like from the freaking bottom, built it up. Then there's Theo Vaughn, comedian, and then there's another comedian that opened for him. It was just an awesome Every The whole thing was great. Stationary astronaut put it on. He's coming on the podcast soon, Nick McLaughlin. Um, but anyways, I show up. I It's a it's a big theater, painting the picture, and it's dark. You know, We're in the middle of the performance right now, and I have no idea where my seats are. And so I just kind of went down the main aisle. I showed up by myself, which is a very key point to remember is I literally was there by myself and just walked down the middle aisle, found an open spot on the left, and I sat like six six rows back from the stage. And that's clearly not your seat. No. I And I didn't realize that until I sat down and I noticed everyone's wristband was white. And I'm like, oh my God. And what color was yours? Red. Mm-hmm. So red was $70, white was like $1,285. And it's it's very important to note what you mentioned right before you said that was you were going in alone, solo. The, yeah. the, the uh, feasibility to actually maneuver your way into a $1,200 seat is much more plausible when it's solo. When you're one person. Because, because you're, you're, yeah, you can you could find that seat that oh, one random person missed, uh, uh, didn't come. And right. then you could just scoot over if there ended up being like another person that needed that seat. Right. And so what ended up happening is I uh, I sat on the end. And then when like Giselle came up after that Rachel girl had spoken was like, all right, Gary Vee's going to come out and we're going to do some Q&A. And so then then there's just like the masses, the crowd just started rushing into the, the auditorium. And uh, being the nice guy that I am. I uh, took the opportunity to just uh, scoot a couple seats in, you know, let let some uh, other people take the uh, the outside spot, the bookends, you know, and so then I was just buried in the in those seats, so I had no problems. Yeah, being in the middle, that's a money spot because yeah. you can't, no one's gonna ask you to get up to uh, either maneuver your way out of there or even to come by you because you're in the middle. Yeah, I'm in the middle, like 
just the plain old average guy, like just brush over this guy. Don't need to worry about him. Uh, I was I was already buddy buddy with the guys to my left and right, so like they had my back allegedly if someone tried to come and kick me out. Um, so yeah, that was good. And then so Gary comes up, and one thing to know about Gary is, I mean he's still wearing that weird hipster hat. Like I showed I showed uh, I showed someone at work like who Gary Vaynerchuk is, and they're like, why does he dress like a poor guy? Isn't he like a millionaire? And I was like, yeah, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even acknowledge like his clothes at all. But sure, that's a great point. Um, so he's dressed exactly like he would normally be dressed. He's got the floppy hat, whatever. And uh, most people see him in like five to like five, anywhere from five seconds to two minutes. I think if you're going to watch a Gary Vee video, you're probably not watching for more than two minutes. Mm-hmm. If you listen to his podcast, that's a different story. But most people, the way they get Gary Vee is through those, those bursts. Yeah, those short bursts. I got to be honest, his like 45 minute talk was amazing. It was awesome, super inspiring, all kinds of great stuff. But what I realized was I was I kind of felt like I was in like a like a community church, like a Lutheran or like a Baptist church. And like the the preacher's just like, praise the Lord. And everyone's like, hell yeah. You know, like probably not hell yeah, but yeah. And and uh he would be saying stuff, you know, like it's it's practical to follow your passion, or you know, whatever he was saying. Everyone's like, Yeah, Gary, like you get it, man. Like, and you're sitting love there. what you're saying. I'm like, dude, we we do we say this every single day on the podcast. Like the fact that he said, like it's not that you can be anyone and follow your passion and make money in this in today's world. I was like, we're average guys who promote the average quality and are following our passion. Like we're we're doing this, we're preaching this. So none of that was very uh, none of that was very surprising to me, mm-hmm. and it was. It, the the parts that really got me were the perspective. Mm-hmm. So those original those parts that you're just talking about, that's what you see in the ten second bursts, in the sixty second bursts on Instagram, on Facebook, exactly. on LinkedIn. Those just generic like quotes that you see all over his feed of like practicality and all of that regard. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And so, you know, being able to hear that in like a full form was obviously much more powerful and I loved that. But then what he was getting into in terms of perspective and and hearing it from someone who went through the dawn of the internet and the dawn of Google and the dawn of YouTube. And he was like one of the very first people on YouTube. He was one of the first 600 users and he was one of the first people to grow his wine business by buying Google AdWorks words such as... Uh, Carbonet or white wine or selling wine, like all those different like buzzwords regarding wine. He bought those for like six cents, and those things sell for like sixty to six hundred dollars. He owns them. He used to. Okay. He sold them when they were six dollars, and they're worth sixty. And so he's talking about how he failed and how he was like, "Yeah, I effed up." But he, but then he would he tied it back. He tied it back into, "Hey, these." Um, what what we went through at that point with Google is exactly what Facebook is in Facebook and Instagram ads are right now. You can spend twenty bucks on an Instagram story ad, and you can reach five thousand people. Think about that. And then he would say, if who he would have, he had everyone stand up who was like doing Facebook ads and who who does who's not making them work and whatever. And he was like, figure it out, because I'm pitching to Budweiser, Pepsi. He would list it off like all these main names, Johnson and Johnson, who weren't using these Facebook pixels. And he goes, the second, like I'm working to push that out to them. Once they have it figured out, it's gonna Facebook ads are gonna jump into a 
a corporate and a very premier way to advertise. So you guys are in a very, very important place right now and you need to hold on to that. So then I was like, wow, that's a great perspective. We, we've been doing that. Exactly. Again, but it even it brings the magnitude. Towards it brings it. the magnitude coming from someone who has been there, done that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I really appreciated those kind of stories. Um, he had another one about when he ran into like the first ever, uh, he, he's kind of a showman and uh, some guy was on stage and was like, or he was doing a Q&A. Gary's a total showman. He's a total showman. And he they were doing a Q&A in Toronto one time. And this was probably like five, six years ago. And he, uh, the kid asked, hey, if I beat you in rock, paper, scissors, would you be able to, um, would I be able to have a 10-minute meeting with you in New York? And he went Rock, up, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors, just playing. So Gary, being the showman, brings him up. The kid beats him. And three months later, he schedules that 10-minute talk with him at a coffee shop at 1130 at night in New York. Gary looks at his phone, doesn't even remember it happening. And like his agent put it in his notes and is like, you beat this guy or this kid beat you in rock, paper, scissors. You have a 10 minute thing. And he's like, God damn it. Like I have to be in Hollywood tomorrow at 8 a.m. Like the last thing I want to do at 1130 at night is to go and talk to this kid for 10 minutes, but he never cancels. So he goes, he goes, I'll give him nine minutes to get the hell out of there. Ends up that kid was, uh, I forget his freaking name, but he's the owner of Vine. And yeah, owner of Vine. And they ended up talking for like two or three hours and they were there till 1am. And then Gary actually brought him out to Hollywood that morning. And they were in the midst of finding like vloggers for YouTube or something like that. And then they basically transitioned it in a way to bring these talent, this talent pool on divine. And then that's how they found And He started like listing off all these famous viners. And then he's like, you guys will probably hate me for this, but like, this is how we found Logan Paul. And then people went nuts. And so, like, those, like, those perspective stories were phenomenal. Fast forward to the end of the night. Like, Gary was great. Went to the after party. Being at an after party by yourself is such a weird feeling. I was just, like, felt like I was a fly on the wall. And then, obviously, like, when Giselle and, like, her whole posse came, it was great. But, like, just being there, having to just connect with people because you had no one else to talk to was, like, a very cool situation to be in. So I loved that. Got to meet all kinds of different people. And uh, then I got to meet Theo Vaughn, which was awesome. When Giselle showed up, Theo showed up with her, and I t- I talked to uh, I talked to Theo for like ten minutes. We talked bird dogs. I uh, his skit was hilarious, and like I listened a little bit of Theo Vaughn, and I told him like, hey, like m- my roommates and I, we all play PGA golf with our shirts off on Saturday mornings, and we listen to your podcast. And uh, he was just geeking, dude. He was like, I wish I could live your guys' like, simple-ass lives. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And then at the end, I asked him, I was like, hey, you want to come on the podcast? And he was like, honestly, dude, I have like so much interaction going on right now. Like, it's, it, It'd just be really hard. Dude. Yeah, it and, so, and I was like, you know, whatever. Like, This is at the end of a 10-minute conversation. Like, I was already thankful to just be there. And we'll get him on eventually. Like, Oh, for sure. If Theo's going to want to come on in, like, I don't know, a couple months here. So calling our own shots. Phenomenal night, though. I... I'll, I'll leave it at that. Dude, it was one of the coolest he- things hearing you describe your experience because one po- I was like super disappointed in myself for like leaving you hanging. I granted I had planned this out um, since March. So like I didn't know Gary Vee was going to be here in August. So and I had these plans to go back home for Lollapalooza for those X amount of months, days, whatever. And then once I found he was coming, I was like, damn, like this would be a sweet experience. And I, I totally think we could totally dominate what – what what was what what the, what it was gonna bring to the table, but then at the end of the day I was like, dude, Declan 
If I'm gonna see, if I'm gonna, send, if you're gonna send one person to an event to network to grow a brand, you're sending Declan Brown because he is going to figure out how to maximize, how to optimize his time in a way that no other person will, and he will be so willing and so confident in his ability to talk to someone prior to engaging in conversation. It's not, it's, it's out of control. Like that's one quality that is not average with you by any means is your ability to talk to anyone and get them to be engaged. It's not like you're talking to that person and you're just talking their ear off. I mean, at times you might be, but at the same, they're listening because you can connect with anyone. And this was, you're hearing this story was phenomenal because it was the perfect example of you just going in there, being yourself and dominating the playing field. And we got probably got five, maybe 10 people that to, uh, to grow our brand, whether they're going to come on our show or whether we're going to utilize them as a network, as the mentor mentee type thing. Yeah. I went in with like 10, 15 business cards, just kind of grabbed a pile of them as on my way out and left with none. Like mm-hmm. I gave them out to each individual person and just, it was awesome. It was, uh, such a fun time, such like a really cool growing experience. Just being able to just like be on this Declan Island and just welcoming other people. It's awesome. And then hearing your, your perspective on Gary in person, was also huge. I mean, we talked about we talk about him one time every single episode. Guarantee we we bring up his name. We, we beat the Gary V horse like crazy. Absolutely. And probably some people are super annoyed with like his over push of content, and that's whatever. Like you you can have that opinion. I'm not gonna disagree with it because it can seem overbearing at times. Mm-hmm. But when like you mentioned, he follows it up with like what we see is just the surface. When he follows it up with when you have that actual engagement with him in person with um the concrete evidence of it actually paying off you're like dude this guy is not only pushing out content that is affecting so many people positively he's also following through with it efficiently and effectively and he's genuine about it too like he's not pushing it out and then like all right where's my check you know like granted he's expensive but that's because he's he's really good he's earned it exactly and so the fact that he just is still so genuine and is just like i want you guys to be better than me you know he's trying to bring up this next generation and just make them a bunch of badasses you know and i i respect that like that's awesome i don't care how much you put out i don't care how annoyed you get with them you can at least respect that i absolutely respect the hell out of it and i hope you enjoyed that um what do we call it old guys talking mess old guys talking mess that's perfect old guys talking mess i mean you literally went in there and it could have been a jumble of mess and it was a mess it was a mess and it was exactly that i showed up late i i had Two dollars in my wallet to pay for parking. I didn't realize that Rochester does not have ATMs and they run on cash. So I, paying for parking, I literally like followed my GPS literally to the place, the Mayo Civic Center, and turned into the parking place. And you had to pay three dollars. I I had to put in two. I didn't know what else to do. I was like, I don't have any other money. So I literally paid two dollars just to go into there, and I sat in twelve hundred dollars seats. Fantastic. It was epic, man. It was fun. We well, gotta go again. We gotta do. We gotta do something like that again. Yo, Challenge ourselves. Absolutely. I think. I think like us. If we could get into those philanthropy event planners, where they're gonna reach out to Gary and try and get him on, and they're looking for places people to fill it with, like on the front and back end, I'd fill it. I'd fill that spot. Yeah, for and sure. I'd fill it effectively. Oh yeah, we'd fill it effectively. We would back pocket would exactly the back. We, yeah. Oh yeah. Old guys talking mess.
I say we trap the puck. We oh. can get to my Lollapalooza stories next, next, next episode. Time. Next episode. Man. See, see, when I go back and listen to this now, I'm like, God, now I'm all, I'm just listening to myself talk for like 20 minutes. Yeah, and at times you might feel like that, but me personally, I was locked in, and that's the second time I've heard that, and third time on some occasions. Um, <laughs> and I'm still like so bloody proud of you, man. That's it's cool. awesome. Appreciate it. It's only gonna, it's only gonna be for the brand, man. It's. It's exciting times. Great times. This rocket ship's going somewhere. And this podcast is going somewhere. Absolutely. Right now, currently. We're going to transition to Gordy Thomas. It's going to be a long session with Declan, Andrew, and Gordy. And we might beat the dead horse on the length. However, the content never lies. Yeah. And it's there. And the content never takes a day off. And we, we talked about that previously in the last podcast. And we can we can reiterate, reiterate it again. Is It's good content. Listen up. And really focus in. You know, if you can focus in for five minutes, one minute, ten minutes, it doesn't matter how long you listen, but you'll get something out of it, I guarantee it. And, you know, hearing someone's story is super, it, it, it brings out a lot of truth about someone, but it can also bring out a lot of truth in your own life. So listen up, enjoy. Today's guest is Gordy Thomas a employee in Modi Sports, and he's he's actually reviving Modi Sports, as we just learned. And um, I'm, I'm very excited to get in touch and learn more about his product because he originally was connected with my grandfather, and that's how I got connected with him. And this is going to be a fun conversation because I always love meeting people, and this particular person is a connection of my grandfather, and I love my grandfather. He's why I'm here today. <laughs> so, Gordy, thank you for coming on the show. Yep, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. So we, just to uh, focus in uh, for our marketing interns, we call our marketing interns our listeners, ah. we would like to know more specifically like your role at Modi. Andrew kind of um, briefly touched on it, but could you give us like a brief, brief background? Yeah, I'll give you a 40,000-foot perspective. Um, in about 2010, uh, I, I was officially retired. You asked why I got out of the what happened after uh, DTA mm-hmm. back in 97. But anyway, I was more or less... Uh, at home, uh, semi-retired, if you will. I was on a school board for 13 years. That consumed me. Um, I, and, and I was investing money. And a, a friend of mine called me up and he said, I just saw this neat thing uh, that takes X's and O's and animates them. And you've got to come take a look at this. It's being used for football. So I went downtown and I looked at it and I thought, this is really phenomenal. Okay, you can take X's and O's, which I never understood. Uh, well, I understood they're, they're an X and Y coordinate of where you would be on a, on a field, whether you're playing basketball, hockey, uh, football. And it would create an animation, which you could see visually moving in a 3D space. And I thought, this is kind of neat. And they could also show the first-person perspective in the 3D space. And all of a sudden, I realized that's the perspective people learn from. Okay, it's not certainly the X's and O's and the X and Y coordinates show you where you are in the field. But when you're running down the field, you aren't taking, you know, your perspective changes when all of a sudden other people are moving down the field. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they showed this to me. I invested some money. Uh, They said, oh, uh, myself and a lot of other people did. Uh, There are about 50 some investors in this company. So and uh, there is a. A young man named Lou Nanny, uh, and and Lou was on the board and said, you, "We need someone on the board here with computer skills." Okay, so I had an I was, I'm a, a old retired computer person. 
I had a computer company, uh, software and service organization and training. So I volunteered to be on the board and give what advice I could, which is very limited because the area of gaming and the area of visualization is not an area I grew up with. Okay, I grew up in the uh, communications, telecommunications uh, area, um, helping companies put up their first online systems and captive networks, um, and uh, grew a consulting firm uh, in Minnesota, Illinois, and eventually Bangalore, India. Um, and we also had software products we distributed in 42 different countries. So uh, from the early days of uh, my time at the University of Minnesota, uh, where I, I'm still a, a registered uh, uh, junior in the College of Liberal Arts, uh, waiting to finish my two years of language credits. An outstanding junior. I'm an outstanding junior, mm -hmm. which I, I'm thinking American Sign Language would be great for me because <laughs> I don't know that I can remember uh, all the other things that I would need to do, uh, remember about a language. So fast forward, so I'm on the board, okay, of this company. And the company's cooking along and they have, uh, the whole idea was born by a former NFL coach and an animator that got together. And the, the problem the NFL coach was trying to solve Sorry if I'm going through your outline a little bit no, here. No, this is, this is okay. exactly how our interviews go. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, was he could not get NFL uh, running backs and linemen and so on to, to look at the X's and O's in the three-ring binder. They'd rather play Madden sports. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they thought, well, that, he said that's not really a good learning tool because Madden sports is a game. We're trying to, we're trying to play football here. So he and the animator got together and created uh, a 3D patented tool now, uh, which became patented after I kind of, it was started before I took over and then I jumped in. Uh, and it takes the X's and O's and animates them. And that would render out a video, an M uh, MOV file, which is all well and good and you could shoot different angles and uh, so on. But in the actual animation, when you were working with a system, you could click on it and say, I want to see what this looks like from this person's perspective on the field in the 3D environment or the um, gaming uh, arena, if you will. And that was neat. That was captivating. Mm -hmm. And the company got going. Um, they put, uh, we put a lot of money into it from a lot of investors. And uh, with a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, uh, that group had a tendency to wander where their business plan was taking them. So where they started with football, then they added uh, basketball, they added uh, lacrosse, they added soccer, they added volleyball, they added ice hockey. And it could we could change the models in within the environment and have either men or women's um, things. And the whole idea was to create training scenarios. When they went to market, they went to the high school market initially and were selling to athletic directors and an athletic director will buy the package and give it to their coaches doesn't mean the coach is going to use it what you find out as you peel the onion and study it uh, is that coaches really don't want to draw anything unless it's on a grease board on the sideline for about a two second uh, discussion with a player or a group of players saying here this is what I want you to do and they're just using it uh, as, as a uh, device for communication. On the other hand, there were all kinds of products in the background uh, out in the environment called Huddle, 
which were great for replacing the old, uh, I'm going to date myself, I used to hang on a scaffolding and run a 8mm camera or 16mm camera, which would then get developed for hockey games, wrestling matches, etc. Eventually that became 2-inch reel-to-reel tape decks. I remember uh, 19, I think it was 68, 69, recording the moon landing. Uh, you know, no and, and oh yeah, no, we recorded it. Oh yeah, we stayed up 23 hours of video tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's nuts. <laughs> you know, one great uh, step for man, another great step for mankind. Whatever the the statement was, was uh, they made. But um, what captivated me was this was a tool that could help players learn what the coach wanted them to do, not after the fact you did this wrong. This is, this is the action we want you to take in a positive fashion. Um, so uh, the company got going, started selling it to high school athletic directors, and found out that nobody's really using the thing. Okay, because coaches, um, a high school athletic director is a loose coordinator of hiring coaches to, you know, uh, inspire and train young athletes to play the game. And they're kind of like, it's kind of like herding cats. Uh, If you want to see an independent opinion or an independent mind or someone who has a way that they've done it, it's a coach. And they they don't change easily. And they don't adopt new products very well. Um, One of the things I found out in my walk down the wilderness of Modi Sports in its early years um, is that I did a little survey. Um, Okay, so we're going along, Modi Sports. It's got football. Now it's got all these sports. The next thing we know on the board is that they're producing television shows uh, for prep sports. And a couple got aired, but we never got paid. Um, So... This all was well and good, but it, it, it seemed like a random walk down Wall Street, if you will. I'm going to throw some money here. I'm going to throw it in this ditch. I'm going to see what happens. And in the meantime, uh, we've gone through cash. We've got some assets, but they aren't really being utilized to generate profit. Um, so we, we uh, had another person come in and uh, try to uh, move, roll the ball forward. No pun intended. Sorry. Uh, and uh, that individual, unfortunately, came down with cancer and had to go off and deal with that. And the board looked at me, and I was on the board, and they said, well, why don't you just kind of shut it down? You know, really, you know, we, it was a great experiment. We tried. It failed. You know, whatever. So I was working with a contract CFO getting rid of this leased space. Down, We had wonderful offices. Just And everybody, each CEO that came before, uh, you know, I was just filling in from the board, uh, had a wonderful vision and great leadership ability and were phenomenal talents in their own right uh, for what they were exercising. You know, I have the highest respect for uh, both of them. So here I was shutting down an office, getting rid of a, a phone plan from whatever those cable folks are. I can't remember their name. Forest in the Trees or... Never mind. Uh, uh, and trying to get rid of it. And all of a sudden, our patent came through the next month. And I'm going like, well, the patent came through. And all of a sudden, some folks on the board said, yeah, patents are good. This has got value, you know. Uh, Did your, and Modi owned that patent? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, employees sign a, an agreement as you develop the patent yeah, that the patents become 
uh, part of the company. Yep. Cool. Yep. And there, there are four people. And um, two of the people are animators. Uh, one of the person is a, a coach. And another person is a, um, a programmer, uh, what I will call a graphic uh, animation programmer, very skilled. Um, and uh, they're all the signatories on the patent. Um, so I thought, well, there's got to be some redeeming value in this. If I see the value, I wonder if others people would. So with the permission of the board, uh, we put up a little website. Uh, took our alpha trial, if you will, created an alpha trial. And this thing ran on a Windows desktop. Okay, And keep in mind, this is 2010, 11, 12, and now we're pushing on 13 and 14. And the device that we're looking at, our phones and our iPads, uh, weren't quite in vogue yet. They're coming, okay, but they aren't there. And we have a tool that creates videos, if you will. We have the, the, a fast content creator, okay? We can put in different models. We can create videos for this, that, the other thing. So I'm kind of walking around, if you will, in the digital um, storage locker of Modi Sports at the time. And I, I tripped over uh, some animations, and I looked at them, and I said, this is really neat. And it, it was a series of 12 um, soccer drills, okay, uh, that were... Actually uh, created not using un unbeknownst to me our software, but done with an animator, and I, I was captivated by them. And so I, one of the, the the initial founding CEO had a phenomenal talent for finding uh, incredible leadership in the ranks of very specific sports. Um, and one of those uh, for football, uh, basketball, etc. I'm going to leave some names off. Uh, but one I, I know specifically was for soccer, a, a gentleman named Alan Merrick. And uh, so I called up Alan and I said, Alan, can, can I stop by and, and show you what I found? And you could explain to me the context of these. Uh, uh, and he did. He, he walked through the 12 drills. And I said, yeah, but it's just 12 uh, animations. There are no, there's no audio. Oh, I can record that. I can put all the coaching points on there. So he did. And I wrapped that up, and I created a little uh, app, okay? In the meantime, I'm going to back up. At the same time, I was just completing, I had taken the desktop app and the alpha trial, and I had found a, uh, a list of um, 18,000 high school coaches. I don't know where I come up, came up with it. But I emailed out to these 18,000 coaches. You know, today I would, I would lose my domain reputation by doing that. Uh, Thank you, Google. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, uh, I, I emailed these folks, and I had 355 people come to our website and download it in all the sports. And they actually tried it. And they had it for 60 days. They could draw plays. I had some instructional videos out there that would show them, you know, here's how you set up the players. Here's how you do the route lines. Here uh, you look at the 2D and 3D simultaneously. Uh, here's how you move the ball. Uh, or catch the ball, or control the ball. Um, and I had 25 people actually complete the survey to the point that I knew they downloaded it, they exercised the tool, etc. One of them was the Illinois School of the Deaf college or football coach. Think about this, okay? All of a sudden, he's using a tool, uh, and he, he wrote in his comments, he said, I hate to tell you, but you need to change your uh, 
characters on the field from tackling dummies to something that's a little more animated. Every time I play something, the kids crack up laughing. <laughs> but they understand uh, all of a sudden what I was trying to get them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, at that point, uh, I had some data that said, one, coaches like 3D. Okay. Uh, two, the biggest influencer of uh, – high school level coach, somewhere high school, somewhere college, somewhere um, what I will call club um, coaches. The biggest influencer is what is that coach that just beat me doing that I'm not doing? It's That is the biggest influencer to motivate them to make change. It's not uh, a professional endorsement from uh, whoever the the greatest uh, NBA player was or whatever. Um, That's not it. It's who just beat me and what are they doing that I didn't do. Right. It's, it, it starts to turn into like a little bit of a competition at that point. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden if they see that that coach is doing something with a tool or device or a method or a process, then they want to do that. Okay. That's awesome. Um, so I went through this list of questions. And keep in mind, I'm, I'm an uh, outstanding junior at, yep. at the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Minnesota. <laughs> Uh, but I had some background along the way. Yeah, I was going to say, I looked on your uh, LinkedIn. We do, we, the back pocket prides ourselves on research, and I saw you graduated from Harvard School of Business. Is that correct? Uh, there was an executive program that I took. Um, I kind of thought, well, you know, I was working at uh, um, DTA, Davis Thomas Associates, which mm-hmm. we founded in 1979 to provide uh, computer programming and contract uh, system programming services to uh, Fortune 500 companies in Minnesota, and then we branched out to us, you know, Wisconsin, kind of Illinois, uh, opened an office in Oak Brook, uh, and we also provided training because we always prided on ourselves on going into a customer, helping them with their first online system, but you know, helping their systems programmer get the environmental software operating, help their programmers learn how to do it themselves, and training them and being able to walk away so they were self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. The, the, the greatest level of satisfaction is knowing you can walk out of a customer and they'll only call you back if they really need you. And you know something? It, it keeps them coming back time and time again. So we grew from oh, Chuck Davis and Gordy Thomas to uh, 30-some people in Minneapolis to now we're doing training and now we're up to 50, 60 people. And now we have, and this is about the time I met your grandfather. Okay. Okay. Um, and we, I was part of a CEO roundtable. And we'd get together twice a year. And uh, uh, your grandfather was working with a guy named Leland at the time. Uh, and I can tell you some real colorful stories, but those are his stories to tell. Okay. Uh, this is Bill, right? Yes. Bill yeah. Goodhue? Yes. Bill Goodhue. Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Peachtree. Yeah. Some yeah. call him, I've heard, the grandfather of Silicon Valley. Can you confirm? He He's the grandfather of shrink wrap software. And he has one of the most phenomenal marketing, uh, what I want to call uh, perceptions of you know, the buyers that I've ever seen in my life. That man can, uh, he took something that a company called MSA Software, 
was trying to see, the, the PC had just come out, okay? Uh, and it was an 8086 or 8088 IBM, you know, had this thing, and you could buy one for $5,000. Well, why shouldn't you pay $5,000 for your accounting package? For Actually, more than that. Uh, $5,000 for a general ledger and another uh, $5,000 for accounts payable and accounts receivable is another $5,000 and all this other stuff. And that's what MSA software was marketing. And uh, your grandfather, uh, Bill Goodhue, uh, went to MSA and said, well, and they weren't making any money after a couple of years. They said, well, this isn't working. So Bill, uh, along with another investor, uh, took it over from MSA and created something called Peachtree Software. And all of a sudden, you could go to a, a, a bookstore when there were bookstores, you know, uh, B. Dalton Booksellers, and for 99 bucks, you could buy a complete accounting system. And this accounting system would run on a PC, and it was everything you needed. It was everything that the mainframe accounting systems would do, but it was $99. This was unheard of, okay? And uh, I remember Bill saying one time, he said, yeah, we've got 8000 a month going out. This is wonderful, you know? And I, I thought to myself, well, what do they do for service if they have questions? Well, then they call and we ask them to get their credit card out. And I thought, that's a great idea. <laughs> you know, charge for support. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. That's phenomenal. I yeah. mean, that's... And, and the roundtable, the CEO roundtable, the value of that was we were eight people, uh, some with service companies, some with software companies, some with service bureau companies, if you will, like paychecks. You know, a company like that. Uh, shrink wrap software, which was unheard of in those days. Uh, and we were selling mainframe utility system software. So this would be like uh, PK Zip, that kind of thing, you mm -hmm. know. But these were for mainframes. And we had uh, file recovery systems we'd sell, which would, if you crashed your disk and you could restore your data to a, a point in time, we could take the journal file and fast recover up to 255 files simultaneously, okay? Wow. And then we also created some things that allowed uh, a person uh, sitting uh, on their uh, terminal programming to go ahead and run a, 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 what we called a compilation at the time to take the, ob uh, the, the source code and create object code, which would be executable, and then look in the, the print queue without having to print anything out and decide if we need to make some errors, you know, uh, corrections in our code. You, you delete the file, go ahead and resubmit it, delete the printout. Never had to print it because, you know, you had to wait for the paper, the paper or the printer at the time. Right, so you probably saved a ton of money and time from that alone, and you could refine your code in addition to oh, just, yeah. Quickly. you know, it, it wasn't as much trial and error anymore. It was trial analysis and right. then reproduction. Yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm digressing. No, okay. But well, I'm giving you kind of a, maybe a little history. The other thing we did, we created something at DTA called uh, uh, DTA Print. Uh, and that allowed uh, someone who was remotely located. So if a company had a manufacturing facility or distribution facility in uh, Minneapolis and they had a, a plant out in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and you could, you could get reports printed out there, they could select them and print them on a remote printer. Uh, and it was very easy to use, and we sold that for twenty-four hundred dollars. Uh, and um, so those that kind of gave me a flair for as we started trading those overseas, uh, how distribution agreements worked and all that. And 
it was a whole history lesson on um, uh, how other cultures worked, and they worked very similar to our culture, mm -hmm. and uh, it was it was a wonderful thing to do. So we eventually sold the software division. Uh, we we uh, focused on because we weren't making millions uh, for every uh, dollar we took in. We probably spent uh, ninety one cents in marketing and sales. Wow. Uh, you know, um, but we were building value and we were gaining customers. Um, so that was important to other companies that were looking to add to their repertoire of what they were offering the customer because they wanted to, you know, have additional customers. And our distributors were phenomenal. Um, we had training systems. So we had two classrooms in Minneapolis and two in Oak Brook, and we'd probably pass... 2,500 students a year through those classrooms, uh, teaching uh, how to program uh, online systems. Uh, and that online systems changed from uh, when we started doing it in the early 80s or mid-80s when we started teaching our first class at a, at a microwave company in, in the western Twin City suburbs that everybody remembers probably their first microwave from, um, to client-server architecture. And client-server architecture came along. I was taking a trip uh, in India uh, talking to a company called uh, Datamatics at the time. And there was a gentleman named Lalette Kanodia, Dr. Kanodia, and his crew. Uh, and they were one of the small but innovative um, software firms at the time. And, and this is 1987, 88. Time frame. Actually, it was probably 1988-89 because I'd already started taking that uh, OPM class at Harvard. And that's how I met some of these folks. So I made an excuse to go over there and see what they were doing because the cost of programming talent was going up. And also I realized this client server is coming and none of the mainframe folks knew how to move or migrate. And there were a lot of what we used to call legacy systems. You guys call legacy systems. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we called them current... <laughs> current stuff yep. um, that, that was the hot stuff back then oh yeah that, that had to move uh, and, and people wanted to try in different environments because the computing environment went from mainframe uh, rooms with uh, thousands of ton of air conditioning cooling them uh, down to a desktop PC and now down to a phone um, so we went over there uh, we found some bright young individuals we brought them over on H-1B visas to teach classes. I saw 500, I saw a hospital uh, as big as St. Paul Ramsey Medical Center being run with two 486 PCs and 500 TTY terminals running all the same applications St. Paul Ramsey Medical Center, which is now called Regions, uh, was running at the time, except for the insurance processing. And I thought, and it was running uh, SQL, Sybase, system using uh, a Unix operating system. And I said, if they can do this on these two PCs, these folks know what they're doing, okay? So, but hospital standards are a little different over there than they are here. But nonetheless, you know, bacteriology, uh, patient scheduling, uh, a lot of the systems were same. So uh, we brought them over to help train our programmers uh, here in the Twin Cities and in Chicago. Um, how to do those things. And I remember, uh, so that, that was the background I came from. Fast forward, uh, uh, 
uh, we sold uh, uh, the software division, and eventually it was 1997, and I, I was looking at, is there value in this? You know, I've spent more time traveling uh, for software products and for Chicago, and I want to spend a little time with my kids before uh, I had my family has a history of uh, coronary heart disease. So I said, I should do this, you know. Um, and I'd seen some of my other uh, associates from the CEO roundtable, you know, punch out, I guess, you know, cash out. Uh, so I did that. And I ended up, the, the, the week after I was uh, my final week, I had some guy walk up to me in August and said, you know, you really should be on the school board. You know. <laughs> so I did that for 13 years. That was an education. Um, and in the meantime, I was farming. Okay. So here I am farming on the school board. I just get off the school board in 2010, and all of a sudden, uh, this I made this investment in Modi Sports. And the next thing I know, I'm on the board. And the next thing you know, within a, a couple of years, I'm I'm in, immersed in it. Okay, and I'm, I'm a volunteer from the board working there. I have the title of CEO, uh, but it, you guys asked me what's what's my title, and I said. Uh, um, Please go for it, Joe. Shit, the ragman. I do everything. You yep. know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, army knife. Yeah, I with well, a little extra. I, with yeah, a little I, bit I, of humility, dude. Yeah, yep. I got that. Uh, so um, we did the 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 alpha trial that came back with good results. We learned a lot about the coach uh, and a lot. And, and coaches are they want to spend more time uh, coaching, and they don't want to draw plays. Mm -hmm. They do not want to draw plays, so they don't mind having something uh, that draws play that, that are pre-drawn. They'll just use those. And if there's a special thing, yeah, they may want one or two things where they put their name on it. So those were kind of the lessons we learned along the way. We had some uh, the board that Modi has is phenomenal. Um, we've got a gentleman who's uh, uh, been a, a senior vice president, executive vice president for brokerage firms in the Twin Cities uh, and, and knows how companies make money, how they finance things, you know, exit strategies, et cetera. And he, he's, he's always been right there. We have someone from the entertainment industry um, who now controls, uh, uh, if it's not uh, sports or news on one of the major networks, it's called Primetime, and that's his domain. Okay. Okay. Uh, we have uh, a gentleman... He's a retired operations uh, guru, if you will, for a large uh, food processing company here in the Twin Cities. So he, he understands process control and so on. Nice. Um, and we have a gentleman who is in the entertainment uh, uh, legal industry uh, and has been providing guidance to us. So it's a, it's a great board. Okay. Um, Very so multifaceted. Yep. A lot, yep, of a lot of different talents. And these are kind of the people I want to get in depth and unpack a little bit more and including yourself, you've been around a lot of startups, a lot of people that have found their path through figuring it out and moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, our market audience right now is in that their twenties and a lot of them are entrepreneurs themselves, whether they're influencing people in software industry or they're doing it in fitness or um, some, some type of health, personal route. service, or personal service. Exactly. Yep. I would like to ask you some advice for these people and for us as well. Um, what were some of those qualities you found in that were kind of across the board that entrepreneurs had that you found helped them be 
become successful because you're around them. These, these CEO um, boards that you're talking about, they all have probably different attributes they brought to the table, yet there might be an, an overarching theme across the board. And I was curious if there was something along those lines. The ability to listen and understand your audience's perception. Um, I would say that is key. Okay, so if you're uh, and and having something to offer of value, uh, people are only going to buy something that solves a problem, uh, saves time, whatever it might be that they have. Okay, uh, and it's called making their life a little easier, better in the in the area of uh, professional uh, trainers, uh, personal trainers, if you will. Uh, you know, they're helping you improve your health and fitness. Um, so I being able to listen, being able to understand where that customer or audience or prospect is coming from and being able to help solve a problem uh, in an efficient and effective manner uh, for them. Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like a lot of, we hear these common themes and listening is always so prevalent and one of these cool, the coolest things about this podcast right now is our, our growth in that aspect. I mean, originally we would write, write down these questions and that's all we would ask and then we'd be, we wouldn't be listening to your answers and we wouldn't build off that. And I think that has helped get some major feedback from our listeners in that regard of um, more of a connection and a, and a thorough route when they're listening and sitting down for these hour conversations that we have with guests such as yourself. They're able to actually get in depth and actually hear out all of that they're talking about. And um, we are maybe not the best at it, but we're trying to improve on it and listening and trying to then take action is then the hardest part after that. Figuring out, okay, you listen and learn from these type of areas. Now, how do I move forward and utilize what I just heard? Um, and in the podcast industry, we're not sure exactly how to do it, but we've, we're hearing how other people have done it. And it's been a really neat process. I, I also want to add to like Gary V talks about this all the time and hate to beat the Gary V horse, but he always, you know, talks about how only like 98% of the people that he preaches this stuff to never actually take it into action. And I could totally echo that. But I think one thing that our podcast does is provides that information. You know, the marketing interns listening right now, listening to Gordy's story, you know, that's important. That Some of these things are very important. The fact that you were able to go to India and understand, oh my gosh, these guys are doubling down on these computers, tripling, quadrupling down, and realizing these guys come at a cheaper price and have 10 times more experience in understanding what they're doing and then leveraging that, you know? Yeah. It's I can, impressive. I can expand on my indie experiences. They're wonderful people. Um, they understand technology very well. They don't necessarily understand business process or uh, it's not considered an honored profession in their industry. In, in their culture. Uh, if you look at if they were a PhD in physics or a physician or a surgeon or uh, something like that, or a computer scientist, that is not a profession. Uh, business is not considered an honored profession. But that's what you were. You already had that. You weren't looking for the business no, guy. You were looking, looking some, for the whiz computer scientist. Yeah, at that point. to help teach the people in the United States that already understood the business application, how they translate you know, uh, the instruction set from working on mainframes to working on a PC to working with a distributed network or a non-distributed network, which now we call the internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. And so it's it's changed. I yeah. mean, I remember 
1972, one, 73, one of my first jobs uh, working for a, a large bank uh, was doing a paper tape transfer uh, to a cash machine so that it knew what accounts not to spit money out to. You know? mm -hmm. And I think one of, our, one of our listeners are taking away major right now is there's no straight path. You've mentioned numerous different experiences that you've had that helped lead to, lead to Modi Sports. And you were retired. You were sitting on the board overseeing Modi Sports. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And then they, um, those two CEOs, one unfortunately having cancer and the next one maybe didn't work out. The, the, first, the first one started it and okay. the second one had the cancer. The cancer. Yeah. Okay, exactly. Yeah. And then there was that, that empty seat. And you're like, okay, I'm retired, but I feel like my expertise and skills can help make a product that will be extremely beneficial to society but we just need to figure out how to actually implement it and how to figure out how to market it properly. And where to market it. Mm -hmm. And who is the audience we should market to. Um, I remember one time, I, I did go to Harvard Business School for an owner and president management program in <laughs> 88, 89, and 90. Well, we wore our Cornell shirts just yeah, to kind of show excellent. you. We didn't graduate here, but we like to just say we have these t-shirts. So Terrific. Yeah, yeah now we, we graduated from there, allegedly. Yeah, we just wanted to intimidate you a little bit with some Ivy League swagger. It, 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 it worked. <laughs> Uh, and and uh, the reason I went was here I was running this business, and we were a couple million dollars, maybe four or five million dollars at the time, maybe six million, I can't remember. We were doing business overseas. We had all these various operations, and we had met with your dad in a round table that said, focus, focus, focus. on uh, One thing, do it well and do it right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and uh, I was looking for, is there anything I missed along the way by just taking a couple of accounting classes over at the University of Minnesota and a bunch of uh, what they called MIS classes at the time and uh, an occasional marketing class uh, and not finishing. You know, I, I was registered in the College of Liberal Arts, but I took a whole bunch of credits that won't apply to my degree, but they're all upper-level classes in the business computing, uh, the area of the, the business school, if you will, which now is called the Carlson School of Management. Okay. Um, but back then, it was, you know, I had time at night. I, st I started out in computers. This is really odd. I was going to the University of Minnesota, and I needed money to pay for the winter quarter. And I was living in a fraternity house, and this guy walked up to me, and he said, do you know how to run a computer? And I told him, yeah. And I mean, I used a paper tape in high school and programmed all my geometry equations on there, and the, the teacher let me use that for the test. <laughs> I thought, this is crazy. This is easy. <laughs> You know, um, so um, he said, well, I've got a job for you nights. You work 4 o'clock to 11, and these mainframes just run, and there will be two hours you can study with nothing to do because it's just thinking. So I went and took an aptitude test, got the job, worked nights, um, and went to school days. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I went to school, and then Tuesdays and Thursday, I volunteered over at the state legislature because I thought I wanted to be a politician. Uh, but I learned a lot. Um, and uh, I won't even go that far back. Anyway, so uh, back to Modi Sports. You'll find that I have disjointed thoughts. But the reason I went to Harvard was I thought there's something I must be missing if I don't have an MBA or, or a business degree. And the program was three weeks long each year for three years. So a total of nine weeks. And in the dead of January, I'd get up and I'd hoof it over to uh, uh, Boston and up to Cambridge and live in a dormitory. Um, with six other people in a what they called a pod. And you were given every case study that the MBA program students go through over that nine-week period. 
and you'd work in groups trying to solve them and so on and so forth. And I think the case study method was more about learning how to communicate and listen and understand. And with that group, um, I'll say, I'm trying to remember, there were 125 folks that finished the process, OPM 15. And uh, I'll say 40% of them were from overseas. And so you learn uh, what their customs and process are, uh, and you develop good good relationships, and it's cross cultural, you know, uh, and you realize that running a business is businesses have to be ethical, okay? Ethical businesses win always, a hundred percent of the time. If that was a message I was going to give someone, that would be it. Um, on my way down here, I asked. Um, Someone, uh, this Alan Merrick guy, I said, what are one of the qualities we have? He says, well, the qualities you have, Thomas, is customer service. You go above and beyond making sure the customer is pleased with what they've uh, been paid for. Okay. Okay. So that's one of those things. You know, I guess I started out working in computer services, uh, making when, a, when the mainframe would crash, I'd be there. Uh, I remember one time when a large hard drive manufacturer in the southern Twin Cities area was down. And I was the CEO of Davis Thomas Associates. And our uh, division, uh, Minneapolis director, uh, said, yeah, we've got a group of four people down there. They're going to work all night, all weekend, to try and get up on emergency backup sites so this company can process its MRP. And the problem was the company would fix the system, it would come up. It took like 18 hours or something to run the MRP run so they knew what they had to manufacture at their plants. Okay, and you don't want to manufacture something that nobody's going to buy. Uh, so they did that. And after 16 hours, the system would crash. They'd have to restore it all. After 14 hours, the system would crash. Uh, after 12 hours, this kept going on. This was like, this started on Tuesday, and by now it's Friday night. And you can imagine... Uh, all the uh, hardware companies, the hardware company, uh, there's, yeah, the major hardware company, I think it has three-digit characters in their, their lettering system. They had filled the skies with people from White Plains. You know, the, the, the shit has hit the fan when at 2 o'clock in the morning you're in an auditorium with 40 people and they're all given status reports because otherwise this company's going down the, down the toilet. Yeah. Um, and I, I went over there just to, you know, I'm not technically competent anymore at that point, especially in the systems they were working in. And so I figured my job is to go buy coffee, bring donuts, make sure if someone needs to run for a manual, I can go get the manual or the microfilm to look what the original code looked like. And because this was an operating system thing, it was just, they couldn't figure out is it hardware or is it software? Um, and that is one of those mysteries that happens once in a while, even in today's environment. Is it hardware or is it software? Um, so I was sitting around and I happened to be sitting with some old engineers from that company that I'd worked on other systems that were down. And they said, well, Thomas, you're sitting here. here here's a dump. You go through it. And a, a memory dump. And this was 8,000 pages of hexadecimal. So I said, I don't know how to read this operating system. They said, sure you do. It's just like the stuff you did over here and there and so on. So I got out a cup of coffee and started plowing through this thing. And I said, I Guys, I just found an instruction I don't understand. And this is um, a hexadecimal instruction. It's, it's, uh, and, and I said, this is an instruction. I pulled out the reference card. I said, nobody would ever write an instruction like this. 
branch on index high, equal, or low within an operating system environment. It's, is it true or is it false? Is it greater or less than? I mean, those are like the major ones. Or is it equal? But on index high, equal, or low? No. So we brought out the microfilm, and sure enough, we were looking at the object code, which was next to the source code. We translate it, and you could look at the microfilm, and it was a different instruction. No way. Yeah. So four bits of the instruction had gotten overlaid. That's it. Four, four bits. Four, four bits. Okay? Wow. Or, or changed somehow, and it should have never changed. Uh, within an hour and a half, three other people in the room all found the same thing in theirs. Mm. And they're going, we never thought to look at that. Okay. And the next thing, we're, we're, we walk back in at, at 6 in the morning, and I just went in, and everybody's just dragging. And it was time for another status meeting. What are we going to tell the customer? What's the resolution? And so uh, everybody talked, all the big wigs. And I'm sitting back with the software guys, and I said, I think we, we found something. Gene, you want to tell them what it was? You know, and, and Gene's from that company and has, a, has the, the right to talk. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he informed them that we found uh, in, in three situations where one of the instructions in the operating system had gotten changed. And all of a sudden, someone from across the room said, oh, no, we upgraded everybody else's disk drives, but ours in corporate and the, and the firmware where the disks are transferring information to the memory and the control unit. So they, they checked theirs and mm -hmm. they found a problem. Wow. End of story. But anyway, no, it's not the end of the story. <laughs> um, Psych. The story was I, I went to Harvard to find out all those things that I may have missed along the way, okay, in, in business acumen, in marketing, in communications, in, uh, and so on. What you find when you look at that group of people, including your grandfather, is an incredible drive that doesn't stop. And I don't know what it is, but I can tell you I pay the price once in a while. Um, from the standpoint, I asked, I asked my, my kids before I got here, two of my kids, two out of three, um, one of them said, uh, you asked about qualities or you were thinking about qualities. Mm -hmm. And I assume interpersonal characteristics are, you know, what, what do you do well? What don't you do well? What, what will humble you at the end of the day? Yes. Uh, and some days you win at it and some days you lose. That's absolutely it. Yep. And there were three things. I got three answers from three different people. And the first one said, uh, you have more tolerance for everybody at times other than your family. You have higher expectations for your family than you do for others. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Ouch. <laughs> Which is okay. I mean, you learn. The whole life, you never stop learning. Um, and you're never the expert. The other one uh, said, well, you're a good communicator. In fact, for males your age, you do a wonderful job of communicating. Okay, But there are times when you realize you didn't communicate well enough or listen well enough. Uh, you're a very good listener. But there are times when you're too quiet or analytical and you won't be expressive enough to let people know what you're thinking. Uh, because being technical, I can go way back in the corner and not speak to people for days, uh, which is absolutely the wrong thing to do. Um, and, and then uh, my f final piece of input was you take on more than you should and don't know when to delegate soon enough. So how does the entrepreneur know when to take the hat off 
finds someone that's competent or, or cares and then hand them the hat, make sure they have the training uh, skills and abilities to get the job done and then support them in that role. That's a critical thing um, that will lead to one of your questions later on about the internet that I'll talk about. Absolutely. Um, so, Fast forward, Modi, we did the alpha trial. We've got some interest. Hold on, before we get to there, yeah, oh. those three things you just brought up. Yeah, <clears throat> phenomenal. Phenomenal. First, thank you for taking the extra step because the majority of our guests, they do self-reflecting and they come up with one or two things and they talk about it. You took the extra step and you asked other people and they gave you feedback. I mean, that's that blew me out of the water. So thank you for doing that. Huh. Um, yeah. And then uh, this is the first time we, that's usually the question we ask to start off the interview. What is your average quality or what are your average qualities? And it, that kind of like ignites like a, um, a relatable field to someone as accomplished as you are. Our listeners may not be as accomplished. They are, they, like we mentioned, they are the younger crowd. So when they say, that, oh, these are my average qualities, now I can relate to this person because they're always trying to strive and be better at them. So this has been the first time we've asked it this late or it's come up this late in, in the interview. And uh, the way you phrased it was perfect. I mean, you, you knew how we wanted it before we even opened our mouth. And this is something that we want to push out constantly is like when you wake up in the morning, you're thinking to yourself, this is what I want to be better. At. I want to be um, more able to communicate my message across, but at the same time, hear other people out. And then, as you mentioned, have that trust in others to delegate as entrepreneur. That is the hardest thing. You started this. This is your baby. And now you want to put now you're going to allow other people to work on it in a way that you trust them um, and take your hands off and let them do their work. Uh, that's something that's probably in every single entrepreneur's head as they wake up in the morning. And that's a battle that you go through every single day and you're trying to grow from that's an average quality. You're met, you may be really good at it at times, but other times you're like, I can't, I can't let you do that. I'm going to do it myself, but you need to have the trust. Um, so those three things are very prevalent and thank you for mentioning all three. Oh, you're welcome. And I, and I got a reminder from one of um, the staff members earlier last week saying, hey, it's time to take this hat off. You can hand it to me. I'll take care of it. <laughs> okay, yep. So you, you need to be reminded. You know, most people, um, I'm just going to stop for a second, have skills and abilities, okay? They can do things. I mean, um, believe it or not, I was going to be a vocal music major, I thought, at the University of Minnesota. Uh, I loved music. You wondered, uh, you'll find a lot of people in computers have a musical background. Uh, and I thought, if I become a choir director, I've got a bunch of 6th and 7th grade and 8th grade adolescents to train how to sing. And, and maybe that wasn't my career horizon. I enjoyed uh, singing. I enjoyed doing, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And so I thought I'd make that my avocation rather than my vocation. But the other thing is people spend an inordinate amount of time working on uh, skills or talents that they aren't really good at, okay? 80% um, of what I do, I do with 20% of my skill set, okay? Probably. If you ask me to write a dissertation, my handwriting is terrible, okay? And being that I grew up with binary ones and zeros, English is a second language to me. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's a great quote. <laughs> okay. So um, what I encouraged people at DTA to do is use those skills and abilities that they do very well to compensate for those things that they don't. And for the things that they don't do well, find someone that does do it well and encourage and promote and get them to do that and, and move on. 
because I could go to uh, class after class of how to improve my handwriting and at the end of the day it probably won't make any difference except that someone's going to see me sign a check or, or uh, a credit card slip and go, that person has great handwriting. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Learn, <laughs> yeah, learn from that person though, yeah. right? I mean, right. And that's kind of what entrepreneurs do a lot too. And Andrew and I, I mean, we've done it more times than we can think. Like we just got these mics a couple of days ago. The first three people we went to was not Google, but we went to three really well-schooled people in the audio industry. We thought of the first three people that we know in our in our neighborhood, in our social neighborhood that were that could actually give us some answers and some you know some real feedback. And I think that just speaks exactly to what you're talking about. It's a small example, but at the same time, super meaningful because then it, it didn't it allowed us to be way more efficient with our time. We didn't have to like sit here and figure it out ourselves or Google it and just do trial and error. We had people in our network, and that's what people. Um, it, you've had some awesome examples of that of reaching out to people. That CEO roundtable, I keep coming back to that. I think that's the coolest thing and something that we should definitely try to get, continue to be incorporated in to hear other people out that have been successful, but also are doing it in different ways. It, that was a, a phenomenal experience. We would meet for three days someplace. Someone would host it. Your grandfather hosted it in the mountains of Georgia. Uh, and and uh, it was a wonderful time. We'd work in the morning and we'd play in the afternoon. And it was eight companies and everybody took a turn presenting where they're at, what they're doing. And then it was pause, reflection, and then it was like um, having eight people, seven other people give you a review of what you're doing well and what you're not doing well and, or, or, or what you, could be, you should be doing. Maybe opportunities missed, that kind of thing. It, and it was all constructive criticism from their perspectives. Um, and you'd never get quite enough time to present your uh, perspective. Your grandfather reminded me of this when we met uh, recently is that I told him how the clock was built. He just wanted to know what time it was. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. Sounds like my grandpa. <laughs> yep. Get to the point. Uh, how are you doing? Tell me, tell me your marketing matrix. Tell me how, how many customers you're converting from prospects to customers and how fast. Mm -hmm. He said that's all that anybody cares about. From a, from a, how would I put this? From a financial perspective and a stock market perspective, he's right. Uh, but I, I can tell you that there are probably employers down in Central Florida uh, that wish they hadn't lost the perspective of what the cast member does, okay? Because that cast member becomes an invaluable asset when times are tough or customers or you have crisis situations that you have to remain calm and just work through. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's one thing to... Uh, chase that ratio and perfect it and it's another thing to do it and leave a little tolerance for uh, what I'll call organizational slack and that's the ability for people to um, make mistakes learn from them and move on mm -hmm. and the, the whole idea of management is to find someone uh, get them trained in uh, give them the skills and abilities and resources they need to get their job done and then support them Mm -hmm. I mean, have a heart is kind of like an arrogant way to put it, but it's kind of that kind of format is goes a long way. It's just yeah. be emotional about it, but not be too emotional where you lose the business, the making the money frame. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So where were we on the, on the, so I, so I went to Harvard. Yes. We did all these case studies. 
uh, I made some great contacts on top of the CEO roundtable. And the CEO roundtable kind of disintegrated a little bit. But, but that was a microcosm of what I ran into in this Harvard thing. Um, and also the Harvard gave some maybe credence to some of the processes we had learned along the way in what I will call the school of uh, street learning. You know, you know, it's one thing to have uh, a balance sheet and a cash flow statement. And it's another to say, do you have cash in your bank account? You know, are your receivables current? When uh, I finally, in 1997, uh, we had some junior partners at DTA. When we sold, uh, I think we only had, out of like several million dollars in receivables, we only had like $7,100 that was never collected. Wow. So you, had right? you had tight books. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Every, and... and, and, and that was after 30 days that $7,100 was outstanding. Wow. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a big deal. I have a quick question about, you know, that kind of transition. So when did you guys know as, you know, the roundtable of CEOs or at DTA, how did you guys know that it was time to sell? I had been watching. Um, I had been a student of, of companies similar to what we did that were public companies. You know, I would get, uh, I'd buy a couple shares of stock, I'd get their annual report, I'd watch the valuations. I looked at uh, how they were uh, conducting themselves in my market areas and how we were conducting ourselves. I would look at, are we unique? Do we add value? And we were unique in the sense that um, there was nobody out there doing contract systems programming. This was, if you will, I'm putting it in your generation now. Hang on, uh, this would be your, your geek squad. We were the geek squad for the mainframes, okay? And in fact, uh, one of the mainframe vendors thought so highly of us, we became their vendor or their sales channel for, uh, uh, I wanna say, I gotta think about this, maybe 35 uh, Fortune 500 companies in in Minnesota. We we were it. Uh, We actually hired some of their sales staff. We provided the engineering um, software support and engineering guidance uh, for those companies. And whenever we, we kind of got out of it, whenever we had a big sale getting ready to close, uh, that company pulled it back in-house, that client, customer in-house, and then they made the sale so we didn't get the commission. So that didn't quite work out as, as well as we thought it could have. Uh, and uh, so we remained, we got rid of that and kept our independence. Um, so the Harvard thing, the business school thing, but made me become a student of, um, A, do I have an extra exit strategy, okay? Um, or is this going to be go on forever? Well, I've never been a big proponent of, um, uh, what would I say, uh, nepotism, you know, as far as bringing family members into an organization, that kind okay. of thing. Um my kids would come in and run the copier machine when there was something to do, uh, but it was all casual. They never got paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, you just do this, or you can go home and bail hay. Because uh, <laughs> I, I lived on the farm then, too. Okay. Um, and um, But I looked at the industry and how many companies were out there doing exactly what I was doing, uh, professional services in the computer environment. And as much as there has been a roll-up in professional services, if you will, with used to be the accounting organizations. Uh, there used to be 
Arthur Anderson and Touche Ross and so on. And I think there was a roll up there. There was a roll up in uh, a number of industries, insurance industries. We were one of them. And that started occurring. And I thought, well, the stock market was going up. The year 2000 was coming. And one of the things that happened then, if you looked at money supply, the amount of money in the economy went up. Uh, the Federal Reserve was creating excess money supply to ward off uh, panic. Okay, so there's lots of cash out there. Okay, all of a sudden, um, and I looked at the value and the multiples, and I said, "This is this is interesting. <laughs> this isn't going to happen again for another at least 12 years or, or seven years, 14 years. Things go through cycles, mm -hmm. you know? and maybe mm -hmm. it's seven years. I don't know." In agricultural, everything goes through a seven-year cycle. We'll have a drought in seven years, whatever. Yep. Um, but but the point was, I was looking at the valuations, and I said, I was looking at my, myself, I was looking at the valuations, I kind of looked at the industry. We had done some, in India, we had created some year 2000 software that you could take your source code, your, your mainframe legacy COBOL, heave it in there, and we'd come out with a report of every statement you had to change in order to cross over the year 2000. Back then, all the dates were stored, uh, a pack decimal date, it was called, uh, an MMDDYY, and usually with a sign on the end, whether it was positive or negative. But everybody would store MMDDYY. So when uh, you're, you're looking at YY being 97, and all of a sudden it goes to 00, yeah. and you're doing a compare, is this greater than, less than, or equal to, you're going, oh, now we're in trouble. Okay, And people had the great idea, well, maybe we should make this a negative number or a positive number or well what happens if someone's reading a dump and they don't know what that is you mm -hmm. know um, they have to reconstruct the data so we created the software that you could heave all your stuff in and would come out with a report you knew exactly what you had to change and of course you had to manage the data structure and you had to keep the your customers happy at the same time and go through the conversion um, and I remember um, I thought this is a good time to go. We, have, we have this little asset. So we put it on the market and uh, had uh, a company that specialized in mergers and acquisitions in our market segment, in our segment of uh, the industry. And uh, we had 26 people got prospectuses of who we were. Uh, we had six actively bidding. That's always a nice place to be. And uh, uh, we didn't take stock. It was an asset sale. Uh, you guys study that stuff in your, your business uh, yes. stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and cash is king. Yep. You can always print more stock. So So you never ended up rolling out the 2000 software? Oh, we did. Okay. But, but I, I never lived to see, see it. it. You were gone by yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And they made me hang around for six months to make sure there was a transition, like it would make any difference. But with 100 and I think we were 146 or 50 employees. Nobody knew who I was, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but in that era also, what, what, what this was on our question list, so this was kind of right before the 2000s, uh, that, but yeah. that, that decade was the Internet kind of becoming extremely popular for, our, uh, for us, for our sake. I we mean, were born. We were born then, and we, uh, we live in the Internet era. We, we, we've never not had the Internet. Um, I'm curious from your perspective, being in this industry, what was that like? Um, how did how was it originally perceived? You know, I uh, 
I, as soon as my, my wife was in a graduate of the University of Minnesota, and she had an alumni account, and they offered the internet on the alumni account back in 1986. And I went ahead and grabbed her, her alumni account. And uh, so I could send emails or look around and look at, um, oh, what did they call them? List groups and things like this. This predates um, a lot of things. But um, as we started working overseas in India in 88, 89, uh, we realized we had a need to communicate. And AT&T just loved it when you called over there. They made money hand over fist. So uh, one of the guys at work uh, found a little piece of software from uh, Israel that would allow you to compress voice and pump it over uh, a data line. Uh, and uh, we didn't, because we had a data line to our office. And it would allow me to communicate with a managing director uh, at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, but we just had to realize we had to talk and then wait and then listen and then talk, wait and listen. <laughs> so it, it worked wonderfully well. Mm -hmm. um, and that was maybe, if you will, somewhat of the beginning of the internet. I remember we still had the software division. Now you don't want to hear that story. Um, well, I guess for our listeners and for myself as well, understanding the magnitude of the internet now, oh. was there an implication like that early on where you saw and you were like, you know what, this is the next thing. It was radio to TV. Yeah. Now we, it's TV to the internet. Yeah. We, in, in, our, in our professional services firm, um, we created uh, a website. We started gathering resumes. We started uh, automatically, when someone would ship us a resume, we would go ahead and catalog it digitally so we could look up various skill sets. Um, we started doing that almost uh, immediately in our Minneapolis office, and our recruiters took advantage of that. Um, as far as getting words out about what we did with training, training had their own uh, storefront, if you will, uh, to advertise, come on in and take the class, you know, uh, be here a week. What was funny about, I got to just share this with you, people would come in and take a class for 500, 1,000 bucks, whatever it was, for five days. The folks from India wanted to have them take a test at the end. We said, no, just make sure they're competent and they understand the material. You don't have to test them. Well, wouldn't their employer want a grade? <laughs> yeah, they probably would, but uh, point. it, it, yeah. it wasn't uh, copacetic to do that. It just mm -hmm. wasn't done in the industry. So, so Did you end up testing them or no? Um, I think those instructors ended up giving them um, uh, exercises so they could make sure that when the student left, they understood yeah. the concepts that the course was there designed to deliver. Because they aren't going to teach them the business concepts, just how to manipulate the software to accomplish a business function. So, yeah. I like that. In terms of, you know, where... So the Internet has oh, obviously internet. grown oh, into yeah. an insane, oh. insane monster, but now more so social media. Yeah. And I think that's the next step. In my opinion, I think... From the transition from the internet to social media, now the growth of social media is just as big. The versatility almost. The versatility, just as big as it was from you know radio to TV, TV to internet. I think this internet to social media thing is even, I don't want to say right. even bigger, but what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there in a second because okay, okay. I'm going to do it in context of Modi. Please. Love it. So... Um, we're along, I've got this contract CFO, and this guy is sharp. 
uh, a brilliant. I've never seen anybody do stuff with a with an Excel spreadsheet. This guy can make it make him do a Mexican hat hat dance. Uh, but a phenomenal, uh, very intelligent man. Worked for an advertising agency that was used to doing uh, internet kind of things. Okay, and keep in mind, from the year '97 uh, through uh, 2010, uh, I kind of lived on the farm. I mean, I was I was void of things except through the kids and through the school district, etc. I remember one uh, school board meeting. Uh, there was a contractor there putting up uh, a system called Our School Today. I don't know. It, it's used for managing uh, classroom schedules and probably all kinds of things in a school district. And they didn't think anything of coming in in mid-September October and trying out a new system on the weekend and not being there on Monday when the thing crashed. And so I gave them my lecture on customer service, okay, and as, as a board chair. And the superintendent didn't know how to handle it. And by the time I got done with these guys, I was trying to be politically correct and discreet, but let them know they pooped in their own mess kit. Mm. You know, you don't do that. And you don't treat customers like that. Uh, customer service works, you know. Uh, fast forward. Okay, so I have this great CFO. He's helping me wind down the company. He said there's an opportunity here. Maybe we can create a, a video storefront because we have a, a, a tool that can create content and we could create all these plays and put them up for basketball, soccer, lacrosse, hockey, et cetera, and get away from the X's and O's that people find on the Internet. If you looked at a play, looked up uh, soccer drills or hockey drills or basketball drills on the Internet, you'll find there are millions of them. Okay, They're all uh, X and Y coordinates and line orientation. This guy understood the Internet. This guy understood uh, because that was a void in my career. I mean, I dropped out of sight from 97 through 2010. Uh, I was a casual user, et cetera. And I was a, um, an occasional explorer. I mean, I'd use everything from, I think there was a search engine called Dogpile. You guys probably never heard of it? No, I have not. I, yeah, you can, look, you can find it. Okay. Uh, and, and there were all kinds of early search engines that were out there that we were trying. And one of my regrets, if I had a regret, was when I sold the company, the company that acquired us wanted our Minneapolis office and our Chicago office. They didn't want to have anything to do with India. And I should have kept India. Personally? Personally. Mm -hmm. But I had non-competes that covered a broad area that, what would I do? You know? Right. And that, yeah, look fast, at that fast forward? Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. uh, hell. But, Hindsight, uh, yeah. Hindsight's always 2020. 1.2 yep. billion people live in India. Yeah, they do. It's crazy. <laughs> I've been there. The, we, we opened our own office there in uh, 1989 with the help of a gentleman, uh, Ram Bagrodia. And Ram was uh, from uh, Mumbai or Bang, uh, Bombay at the time. Uh, and Ram had um, the corner on the jute market. He made burlap bags okay, um, and was highly successful. Um, and this, I, I would stop in Bombay, on, you know, initially to see uh, Lillette Kenodia and Datamatics, and then we got the idea, maybe we should open our own office, you know, cut out the middleman, right. more profit, mm -hmm. you know. But you can only back backfill the, the food chain so far in your supply. But anyway, um, 
so whenever I'd fly into town, I'd call around and say, hey, I'm coming into town. He'd always have a car waiting for me at the airport. Hospitality overseas is like nothing you've ever seen before in your life. Um, these, and, 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 it, and it's very affordable for them, I should say, or not, depending on your, on your class or status or how much money you have. But they, they, he took care of me all the time. And, and there were a lot of nights at the old Taj Hotel in, in uh, Bombay. We, we'd have dinner, and, and I swear to God, the guy was going to drink me under the table. Uh, not that alcohol was involved, but it was. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, we had fond memories. But um, those associations, those relationships allowed me to go overseas and open an office in Bangalore. Um, and at, at the time, Bangalore was a small, if you will, Midwest town on kind of a high plateau uh, in the south central part of the country. And I remember when Kentucky Fried Chicken came out there and Pizza Hut mm -hmm. and a lot of these brands. And I remember um, driving by a Cargill plant and seeing miles of carts with ox and ox pulling the cart and the crop in the back and these guys are all waiting to drop it off at the plant you know it's no different than watching these semi trucks going to the grain line down at harvest states or, or cargo down by the mississippi river mm -hmm. um, a lot of similarities and at the time bangalore was a small town i want to say they had seven million people or something wow. uh, and a small town in india has one one to two million people. That's a small town. That's crazy. Uh, but yeah, they have a lot of people. And they're, they're wonderful people. That's our GoPro, and it yeah. struggles with... Uh, it was staying. going for like 50 minutes, though. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. If I talk that long. Oh, uh, dude. Our, yeah. So in, in answer to your question on the internet, uh, one of the things, this, this bright young man that was helping with, with the accounting uh, also worked up a plan on all the things we should do marketing-wise as we get the product off, launched, et cetera. He was uh, an integral part of doing the study we did at St. Thomas. Uh, we had, uh, St. Thomas has a program for small struggling uh, uh, businesses. We had uh, four young ladies in the uh, uh, marketing program do a study for us. And they actually went out and interviewed 187 coaches, showed them our 3D stuff and said, would you use this? And answered some perceptions as to how would you use it? Would you want to draw your own? How would this work, et cetera? Uh, and that helped qualify where we're going today. Um, certainly, Alan Merrick uh, helped qualify the fact that we're going to take one sport, see if we can do it, do it right, make sure it works. And our target market focus has shifted from high schools to six through twelve years old, pre-prep sports. Wow. And and the reason it it has done that, it's all right, um, is. You know what this is? This is low battery on a phone. <laughs> Technology, I love it. Yep. Um, but the reason we did that is that's one audience group that really needs to learn basic skills. And if they if if a young person at in recreational soccer can learn one or two or three foot skills, uh, they gain confidence and they'll be back for the next season. At six years old, if you've got a person that knows how to control the ball and they pass it to an individual that doesn't know how to handle the ball, and that person loses the ball to the other team, the skilled individual probably won't pass it to them next time. And all of a sudden, uh, kids feel left out. I don't know if this happened to you in your careers as you grew up. And it, it happens at basketball, hockey, you know, 
football, every team sport, every team sport. It happens in life too. (laughs) In life. So here was an opportunity with Modi Sports to take uh, something and show them what you want them to do. And we had something called a motion. We have something called a motion capture system. So what we did was, I'm sure you guys have looked at our site. Mm -hmm. We motion captured these foot skills. And if you've seen our see it, do it on our YouTube channel uh, of the little girl that takes the tablet in her hand and we were given 10 minutes and all of a sudden she's doing the skill from looking at the tablet. All of a sudden that means parent volunteer coaches don't have to be experts in these skills. We can capture them. The kids can learn from them. And if you take the practice plan or session plan, if you want to be uh, politically correct in the, in the soccer vernacular, and give it to the kids to watch or the players to watch before practice, guess what happens when those players come to practice and the, and the coach says, we're going to do 10 minutes or five minutes of working on a sole of the foot drag bag. The kids know what that is. All of a sudden we're going to do a practice. We're going to do a, a two V two. Okay. They've, they've seen it. They know what it is. Mm-hmm. And for those kids and those families, not every family used to watch sports. Uh, you may be growing up with a parent that uh, played basketball. I assume from your height. I wish. Yeah. My dad played football at Northwestern. Okay, football at Northwestern. Okay, and your your dad football at Cornell. At Cornell, football okay. guys. And and my dad went to a military school, and uh, may have played sports, but he never talked about it. From the age of six through high school, mm-hmm. went to a military academy, um, but he never watched. He he watched golf. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm and and uh, here's a perfect example. I don't know how to throw a football. I play football. I don't know how to throw a football because my dad's a righty and I'm a lefty, and I just I never really knew the fundamentals of twisting my elbow back and throwing it in that proper fashion, translating that from righty to lefty. I just couldn't process that as a young kid when he was teaching me as a righty. And I mean that's in within my own sport. I watched it. I loved it and everything. But I still I don't know how to throw a football, and that's hilarious to me. I played college football. So you'd you'd catch the ball. I'd catch the ball. I'd figured out how to do it a different way. But and you could catch the ball with your left hand where everybody nobody else could. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so guess what? You were on the left side of the line. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> My guess. I was a center. Okay. Not, not a lot of imagination there. That's where it all starts though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but with but with Modi Sports, um, and how I see what you're coming exactly what you've come to now is the parents are always being blamed or they don't have enough time for the team not being successful or their individual kid not being successful. They blame it on the parent uh, or that coach. Right. Um, but with this software um, and with this teaching skills, they have every fundamental capability to learn now, and it's it's on either the student or the coach to kind of um, ignite access to it in a way that they will be able to become proficient in, in for soccer, just simple passing with your right foot in a, in a vertical and your fashion. left foot and your left foot exactly you have to be ambidextrous ambidextrous right. and yeah. doing it in a fashion that makes the, uh, your opponent better not just uh, not your opponent your teammate better um, because you're passing it in this way instead of just moving the ball back and forth right or watching someone moving yeah exactly you know what I'm talking you, you're, you're participating in that thing mm-hmm. and, and one of the biggest things uh, you know I, I realized we didn't have anybody in the uh, what was that thing we just watched on July 10th the uh, World, World Cup. World Cup. Yes. We didn't have anybody in there. No. And uh, Alan Merrick was in there in 1980, by the way. Uh, and he, in fact, he played for two different countries. Uh, one was England many years before, and the other was the United States. 
Oh, he did um, play for the United States, I didn't know. Oh, yeah. Oh. You bet. Uh, that's why you want to talk to Alan. Yes. Uh, for future he, listeners, for future reference, we gotta get Alan, Alan Merrick will be on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but but, but uh, and he coaches the U of M men's club team. Now, okay. he's done that for like 20 years. Um, where's I going? I have Halfheimers. So if I forget what's going on, mm-hmm. I have to get up off my seat, walk <laughs> through the door, come back, and then I'll remember halfway down the hallway what I was going to talk about. Uh, with Modi Sports, the, the coach is having less pressure right. of getting it exactly right, right and how having a platform. And, and the kids are sponges at the age of six, seven, eight. They can learn these skills. They can do these skills. And if they learn them in recreational soccer and they can teach themselves and have a good experience, uh, they'll continue with the sport. Okay. Um, by the age of 12, the attrition in soccer is huge. In fact, if you read a, a, a July 14th article in the New York Times, you'll see that uh, in the competitive ranks in soccer, uh, it's decreased by 14% in the last few years. Okay. Which is kind of a surprise because with all the concussion stuff, well, we figured, well, yeah. Football will take the hit, etc. Um, the key is the 2.3 million kids that play competitive soccer in the United States, or 3.2 million, depending on where you get your statistics, um, are playing competitive. We know who they are. We're registered. The people who are playing recreational soccer are three to four times that size. Okay, and that's the talent pool from which these competitive clubs can draw from if they come along. And so we've been focusing on recreational soccer, parent coach volunteers, uh, club directors that don't have time to even worry about that. They're worried about their competitive side and their, their, their care and feeding of the traveling teams and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us help you with this other side. And so we see that as a process that if we can do effectively in soccer, we can do it effectively in basketball. Uh, we've got uh, a guy named Christopher Thomas, who's one of two Nike Spark trainers in the world, that when, for example, Maya Moore has in the Twin Cities with the Timberwolves? Correct. Uh, yeah. They're the... Uh, no, 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 no. The, Spark. Ladies, uh, the Lynx, the Lynx, the Lynx. The Lynx. The Lynx. Yes. <sighs> Wonderful. Boy, am I brain damaged. Uh, <laughs> but when, when they have a, uh, uh, a football camp or a basketball camp, he comes in and runs those. When uh, LeBron James has one, he goes over there and runs those. He's a trainer all over the world. So he's one of our resources for basketball. Uh, And we have a similar thing in the other sports. But we want to do one thing and do it right. The Internet is critically important. The CFO that was contracting pointed out to me, Thomas, you got to have a plan for the Internet. You guys are focusing on club sales, and that's a B2B enterprise. That means pressing the flesh, doing demos, doing webinars, which we're just starting to do. And we're, we're, we're the caveman of webinars. Uh, if you want to see a webinar caveman, this is it. We went through 14 scratch and restarts and delete the video. And glad no one was on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're finally starting to refine it. And what I don't understand is, is the bandwidth, because you know, we're using this thing called go to whatever, jump in the lake uh, and for our webinar. And, I, and, and all of a sudden they want to meter our bandwidth. So here's a cute story. So I, I live at the end of the earth in Hennepin County where the, the utility gives me um, DSL at substandard speeds. Mm-hmm. And, and my uh, partner in crime, Alan Merrick, lives in Lakeville, if you will, and he has the Forest and the Trees phone company. I don't know what they call themselves. I think Daniel Boone or 
Uh, anyway, yeah. yeah, I don't want to mention them. But anyway, <laughs> his service is, is really not much better. And in outing Minnesota, up in my cabin, 132 miles north, I have fiber optic cable that came to my cabin. I've got 10 megabits upload and download and a local phone for, I want to get this right, $40 less than I'm paying for the same service at CenturyLink. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I, may, I, I decided to use a little form on, on the Internet, Public Utilities Commission, fill it out and say, why am, I, why am I getting this versus this? And the next thing you know, CenturyLink's calling me, and everybody on our road, they put a box, 25 grand box, up at the head of the road, and all of a sudden our speed's jumped. Because they can, they can emulate and multiplex over a two or four wire line, a lot higher speed than, right. than they were allowing. Okay. Uh, but the internet is crit critically important. Um, we've got something called One Coach, One Team, and I realize you guys are getting hungry. I can see you drooling. Uh, and, and, <laughs> we're drooling and, for more information, more content, okay. delivering. Okay. And, and uh, uh, we've got one, uh, something called One Coach, One Team, and One Player. And the whole concept is we've got this thing with drills and 3D skills and uh, 3D drills, which are easy to understand, fun to do and watch, at least from our perspective. And now in the mobile platform, we can show the player's view of the game. We're going to refine it. Uh, we're starting to refine it. And I remember you asked about a product or a market. Early on, you said something about it. I remember talking to a venture capitalist, and he said, uh, we, this group only invested in companies that did virtual reality. And I said, I remember something a long time ago where I'd rather have a market to take a product to than to have a product than look for the market. Mm. Exactly. Okay, yep. so uh, find out where the need is and the business problem you're going to solve and then look for the solution. Right. Don't have a solution and then look for a problem. That's a great way to put it. I was going to ask you about that with, you know, putting it into the player's perspective now with GoPros and 360 cameras and everything. Do you see a potential market for Modi Sports in VR? I, I see it in two perspectives, yes. Um, one perspective is a lot of people are starting to wear chips on their uniform mm -hmm. when they're playing game situations. And a lot of times they want to take that and model that. Well, we've got the capability, if we decide to go that route, of taking those that X and O coordinate and that speed and acceleration and taking the data file and animating it. We just haven't gone there yet. Yep. Okay. Nice. Um, as far as... That would be another long lines of you getting into all these and... Exactly. It's, it's called... You just want to choose one route, pursue it, and yeah. really grow that one route. Yeah. I, like, yeah. Kind of like what Alan had said before. Right. We, we sat with a uh, director, an executive director of coaching from a major um, uh, soccer club in, in the Tampa Bay area today. Um, I shouldn't even mention the name. But uh, anyway, they have roughly five, 6,000 kids that do recreational soccer. He saw this and sees the value of them learning the skill sets. As rough as it may be, as patchy as it may be, as hard as it might be, he sees the value of that lifts up the skill level of the base that they can draw from, and it will do it nationwide. What a phenomenal thing to leave behind. Mm -hmm. Right? That's awesome. You know, it, it, it's not, did you make it, but did you do what was right? And, it, and Alan 
Alan has seen this is this will make if, if this was adopted, this will make a huge difference in the soccer community in three, four, or five years because those parent volunteer coaches are going to eventually become competitive coaches, mm -hmm. and they're going to work this process up, and our tools will become more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and you mentioned these coaches will not only are they going to be able to help these kids, but they're helping themselves, and they are gathering fundamentals that they didn't even realize have evolved since they played because a lot of them are just drawing back on when they played in the 80s or whatever, however old they are, um, on those type of skills. And now they're learning, oh, this is how they're doing it now. Yeah. And they have an easy platform. So it's helping not just the youth, but it's helping, again, it, every generation. And, in and, and a lot of those parent volunteer coaches that may have played the sport, maybe a different sport. Mm -hmm. it, our, our See It, Do It uh, little video on our, our YouTube channel, uh, that, that gentleman, he, he was a wrestler. <laughs> yep. you know and but and we're, we're really trying to emphasize uh, uh, okay so back to the internet this is critically important so we've got a b2b product mm -hmm. and we seem to be chunking that thing out and we've done a I've done a terrible job the company I've done a terrible job not the staff of trying to do the b2c business to consumer and part of what your grandfather did was he reminded me You've got this huge group out there, this funnel, and you need to pass them over the funnel and, and turn on the vacuum cleaner and, and, and bring them on down. Mm -hmm. Okay, And, of course, um, I think one of the things I said about my characteristics is I tend to be impatient. So I remembered, well, yeah, you just get a list of 18,000 names and go, poof. Well, not anymore. Uh, people don't want to get spam. They don't want to get junk mail. I mean... Uh, the rules have changed. You've got to be a good student and a well-behaved player in the email market. Okay, um, so I thought, well, okay, this is kind of going, you know. And again, we're trying to drive people to try this. And our developers look at this and say, Thomas, you know, your app is free in the store, and you're charging for content. But we we all know that if you study the iTunes uh, paradigm iTunes users are four times more likely to buy something than an Android user. I mean, did you guys study this? No, I have not. No, that's new to me. That's oh, it's, it's true. They're four times more likely. And they trust the iTunes store. And I can tell you putting an app in the iTunes store is there's, there's um, more rigor to some degree. than uh, No, there is more rigor to get in their store content and so on. And, and they, they police it. The beauty of the, the, uh, the market uh, overseas is you can put it in the iTunes store and you can put it in Amazon or Google or whatever store you want. There could be Amazon. Um, and you don't have to worry about taxes. You don't have to worry about marketing distribution agreements. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You have to worry about it. You have to be concerned. You have to be cognizant so that when they say, hey, we're now converting from the U.S. dollar uh, in iTunes to the Korean, I'm trying to remember the currency name, and I apologize to those folks from Korea, but they're just going through that transition that'll happen in September. But you have to be cognizant of how that plays out, at least on you know, besides opening up the exchange rates in the the local newspaper, mm -hmm. right. or maybe online. Sorry. The internet, uh, we've failed at. We haven't done well at. And I've had marketing. Uh, Folks within my organization, software folks within my organization, saying, Thomas, your grandfather, saying, you've got to do better. And he's right. 
Um, solutions come from one perspective of the developer saying, hey, you should take everything, all the content you have and make it granular so that someone can download your app and purchase this drill for 99 cents or that skill for 99 cents uh, and use it. And yet we've spent, uh, we've got two people with 70 years of coaching experience in soccer saying, hey, at U6, U8, U10, U12, this is the progression kids should learn at. And if they accelerate it when they're ready, that's fine. But if they aren't, they can break an ankle, they can do all kinds of things. And this is, how, this is what is developmentally appropriate. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, uh, those are high standards that were developed. So we fully expect someone to take our 166 practice plans we've already developed and dumb them down a little bit for their organization until they can ramp them up. Because I can tell you, uh, some of the stuff at a U6, uh, Alan says, oh yeah, I'll do that with my college players. <laughs> and, he, and he will. Mm -hmm. um, so the internet, what we need to focus on is, uh, do we want to go granular and let people pick what they want? Then it's like having a potpourri of people going to YouTube and saying, or Google and saying, I need these plays. Mm -hmm. but they have no context with which to assemble them. How long should the session be? When should you do water breaks? Uh, how do you reinforce those skills that you just taught on the front end with the drills that are next before you do your small-sided games, your scrimmages, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, uh, where we've got uh, decades of experience that have already funneled that together. Uh, it's one thing to give it to a club and a con someone who's consciously competent that knows how to change it, but we were engineer, engineering this for smaller clubs that may not have, the coaching director may not have time to do that. Or the one coach standing out in Kearney, Nebraska, who just got asked to, you'll coach this U8 team, otherwise your daughter won't play, there won't be a team. So they volunteer, they get the required 40 minutes of instruction on uh, how to handle adverse weather events, uh, how to handle concussions, how to make sure that you can direct the ambulance if it's required to get there, how to make sure you're two parents deep in case some parent doesn't come to pick up their kid right away so there can't be a he said, she said. You don't want any of that stuff. Not in today's environment. Mm -hmm. um, so the amount of time relegated to teaching that parent volunteer coach, coach as to what the skills are and here's some drills amounts to about 40 minutes, wow. 45 minutes. It's amazing to get all that information in that that quick of a time. And I well, like no, no, no. The, f the first 40 minutes was the weather events, the oh, yeah. you know, concussion. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All, all that. that is in 40 and, minutes is impressive. And then another 40 minutes is here are the foot skills and here are the drills you should run. That's yeah. it. Hour 20. That's all it takes. That's what I'm saying. It's like yeah. the, the efficiency of time. Or they'll have some high school kid come and show a couple things for a drill or two and then leave. Perfect. You know, that's it. And then the kids and the coach are floundering around saying, what do I teach? And how do I teach it? Mm -hmm. uh, or I shouldn't say teach, coach, uh, but semantics. Yep. Don't go there. I got a, I got a proposition. Please. So we got three final questions. Okay. And I'll be. I'll just. I'll, I'll outline them for you. <laughs> the first one is, what advice would you give to your 22 year old self? The second one is, do you have any questions for us? And the third and final one is, what did you learn today? Before we get to those last two. We want to focus your attention on this question. Andrew and I stressed it a lot. We are 22-year-old entrepreneurs trying to make it in this world, trying to grind. There are plenty of other people out there like ourselves that are listening right now. 
what would you get what advice would you give to those people find something you have passion for and 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 take the high road and if it's something a skill talent product whatever that you think will help improve society help improve the way of life something like that that you have passion for you can pursue that don't pursue something you don't enjoy ever it may make you money but it won't make you happy mm -hmm. and money doesn't buy happiness but to see a little kid all of a sudden doing a drill um, makes software engineers ecstatic uh, that that's where the rubber meets the road so find passion find happiness find something where you can translate those skills you've learned in college and you're 22 years old and you guys have enormous amounts of energy enormous I mean you guys can work almost 24 hours a day <laughs> yeah uh, pretty much <laughs> and 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 but do it with a passion do it something that you know uh, you're going down a road and you and look far enough head down the road that you have a plan for life okay so I don't know how to put this um, it was one of the classes I took at Harvard they said in your 20s uh, you're full of energy. In your 30s, you're starting to uh, probably develop a family and have a family. Make sure you make time for the family along the way. I didn't do enough of that. I can tell you what I did wrong. Uh, and maybe that's why I found an exit strategy when I was 44 and decided to take it. In the meantime, I'm running Boy Scouts and Bale and Hay, and I'm on the school board uh, for 10, 12 years. But have a plan for your life as you're going down there and what you think it would look like at the end of the road. Because uh, I just went on Medicare a couple days ago. Okay? Wow. Uh, I, I'm not on Social Security, but Medicare. I'm, I'm old enough that that happened. Thank you guys for paying for my mm -hmm. medical yeah, insurance. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. <laughs> but, but <laughs> it's, and it's not as cheap as you think it is mm -hmm. at all because you have to cope. It. But those are the keys. And, and your life will be fulfilled. You'll have a good time mm -hmm. uh, because you know you're making a meaning to someone. Absolutely. That's a great answer. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Andrew? The second question was, um, any qu balls in your court now. Any questions for us? So you just spent an hour 38 answering all of our questions, and we would love to answer one of yours if you have any. As you take this podcast... And these podcasts, you've got to have a theme, a direction, an idea. And you're doing a wonderful job. I've listened to some. And where does it go? Where's your horizon? Where's mm -hmm. the... I don't want to say monetize, but obviously you're making a difference to a lot of 22-year-olds that are listening to this. Okay. Um, maybe you have to... Yeah, to monetize would be the goal, right? Yeah. And that's... Um, that's a goal. That's a goal. Um, but if you're providing a, a service that people find of value, which mm -hmm. I think and our service would be ultimately figuring out what the product would be. But our service right now is us. And what we do is we believe that every person has an innate ability to be an entrepreneur, to be an influencer, to be a motivator. And we are trying to do this with the podcast is to unlock that for these individuals that don't see it, but they actually have these innate skills in them. And these questions that we've been asking you hopefully will inspire someone. Maybe it's not 100 people. Maybe it's 10 people. Maybe it's just one person. But we know that there, there's people out there listening and taking away golden nuggets throughout this and then finding belief in themselves. 
So that's what we're trying to do. And whether that is um, eventually turns from an audio, a podcast into an audio book and we sell an audio book or we turn it into um, we're keynote speakers and we actually provide a service where we go in and we actually help. Maybe it's a university or maybe it's um, a, a round table like you're talking, a CEO round table or just a round table of entrepreneur startups um, in that regard. So we're trying to figure out we're 22 year old people. How do we promote our credibility? Well, we're building that every single day on this podcast. You are. So to, pro- to, to present that to someone in your shoes who's well-established and has the money that would potentially invest, um, we need to show that we're 22-year-olds that are preaching um, intangible qualities that take a lifetime to develop. But we have the awareness that we are trying to develop that every single day, and we don't have the answers but there's so many people out there that do, and that's what we're oh, trying yeah. to gather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there was an expression that came to mind while you were talking. I just, I, I daydream once in a while. For sure. And um, it, it goes along with a passion, and it'll come back to me because I just misplaced it. I'm an old guy. Uh, but uh, the six worst words in sports and in business and in life, it's the way we've always done it. The way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've never, it's not the way we, that's, we, 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 you know, I mean, change is inevitable. And people have innate, as you said, talent, skills, and abilities, uh, and passion. And if they can show, and, and change is always difficult for everybody. You can watch organizational change, organizational behavior, individual change, it's all, all the same. But the reason people change is to improve life, improve the quality of life, et cetera. You asked me uh, a little while ago, what did I think of social media? Uh, I'm going to give you a little perspective. Um, it started out as altruistic. We've got Facebook. No, we had AOL. So we had, everybody had a chat room or whatever. And, mm-hmm. then, and then it went to, and, and I'm, I'm going to miss a couple steps here because I'm an old guy. Uh, then we had Facebook, you know, and everybody wants to put everything out on Facebook. And then you find that people can be malicious on Facebook, okay? Not just kids and browbeating, but uh, maybe politics. I don't know. Is, 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 that, a, is that an issue today? Um, and, but there's going to be uh, what I'll call a renaissance period. where um, and Then you've got Twitter, okay? And you've got Instagram, and you've got Snapchat, and you've got uh, a number of social media, YouTube. Outlets. Yeah, outlets. You know, And now everybody's questioning the press and what is news, what is fake news. And part of what this has done is made us all conscious that we have to really look at what are the sources of our information. Um, I, I, I have relatives um, that, that sometimes read and believe everything they see on the Internet and I'm trying to say, well, you can't do that. You've got to look at, you know, the person may be an expert, but, you know, they've been a plumber for 40 years, and, and they are not an investment counselor, okay? Right. Uh, they just have their own idea of what's, what's there. Mm-hmm. And so I think social media has accentuated or accelerated uh, the fact that all of a sudden we all have to stop. And, and all of a sudden, not everything should be in 140 bytes. I don't know if that's how big a... Uh, I think that at one point it was it might be, they might have expanded a little yeah, bit, but yes, you can put images in and so mm-hmm. on and mm-hmm. little videos. And, yep. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, uh, what the internet has done is accelerated access to information, 
both good and bad. Uh, it, it, it has maybe killed uh, the newspaper industry to a certain extent. Uh, I know the restaurant I go to with the farmers, uh, we've got one, one newspaper and we'll make it uh, on, on this table and that table and everybody shares the sections. And uh, It used to be years ago, everybody would pick up a newspaper on the way in. In fact, there were two newspapers in the, in, in, you know, there was the Star in, in Minneapolis, which was the evening paper, and the news came in the morning paper, uh, the Tribune, uh, locally. Uh, oh, they were two separate entities. And then now they came, the then they came to Goo okay. together, and then now you've got uh, St. Paul Dispatch and Pioneer Press okay. uh, uh, writing as well. Gotcha. Uh, and, and you went for the quality of the writers and those people that you thought had uh, the most interest mm -hmm. or knowledge of yep. a topic. Um, so the, inter the Internet has exploded information. Um, I remember... We were wondering, my wife said, well, the, the traffic accident rate, deaths per um, number of deaths in the U.S. has gone down the last four or five years. And I looked it up on the Internet, and five seconds I had the answer. Yeah, I didn't know there were 12 deaths in uh, 1898 from automobiles, but I guess there were. But you can see the trend is down in the U.S. as far as accidents per thousand million miles driven, whatever it is. It's gone way down uh, for the last four or five years. So that acts, that information's powerful. It's what people do with it, okay? Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of kicking myself in the rear end. I, I, someone may listen to this, but I was sitting with a young man uh, and his uh, father. We were talking about something uh, at a breakfast one morning, and he told me that he's going into politics. And I told him my experience over at the university when I thought I wanted to go into politics. And I was kind of a little bit, uh, after the years, you become a little jaded on stuff, and you realize, well, maybe this is not so much by the people for the people and of the people is like by the money for the money and of can I stay in office how long mm -hmm. uh, you know and I, I felt bad saying that to the young man because I was I'm a, I'm in I love the fact that young people want to get in go in with great intentions and work in the system and the system changes over time uh, but but we've now seen the influence of potentially influence of outside uh, media uh, in the internet uh, that so now what do you believe you know I just I just saw something with my local congressman um, they had a fact check if you will he was talking about preserving the northern Minnesota uh, boundary waters and so on and here it was taken in a canoe sitting in a lake in uh, uh, Chaska you know and yet it looked like he was up on up up in the you know the wilderness he wasn't mm -hmm. you know so you, 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 that's what they mean maybe a little bit by fake news or fake facts. Or, but what I think is really important, too, is the fact that the Internet exposes you. Whereas before, it was something you saw on TV and you had to take for granted. They'll, that's what's really hurting these media news companies and these ultimate people pushing out you know this quote-unquote fake news. Sure. The Internet, social media, Facebook, all these different platforms are exposing and keeping the people them that are lie and keeping that's, them honest. That's true. And so from our perspective, it's let's attack that in a positive way. Let's show people who we actually are no matter what. Let's show people our failures, our average qualities, and how we respond to them and then track that growth. Because if we were to sit here and pretend like we're these 22-year-old entrepreneur macho men, 
someone's going to find out and someone's going to expose us for that. Why even go down that route? No. Why not no. go take the humility route and build yeah. build right. an audience yep. and really leverage something? Mm-hmm. Always take the high road. Always be ethical. And always be honest. Mm-hmm. It never hurts. Yeah. You know, no, no, nobody's going to come back at the end of the day and you'll sleep better and no one's going to say, hey, you should have done it this way. Mm-hmm. Right. You're going to say, well, I did the best I knew. What more could you ask? But but the internet does that. I just I sat with a gentleman that used to run my Chicago office, and they just spent uh, from July seventh through August second. Uh, there was an eight hundred million dollar division of an international company that they just spent probably three hundred man hours getting ransomware out of their systems, and this ransomware was doing keystroke copying of every employee in the organization when they happened to use their laptop or desktop to access their personal bank accounts and was going after everything. So the internet is, and I said, did you ever figure out where it came from? He said, yeah, we saw a 31 server loop and it kept looping. Wow. Couldn't figure out where it came from. But they finally put up everything, sanitized it, but it was a major effort and it left a lot of people exposed for a while. So it's crazy. So there are pros and cons and you're right. Uh, it, it, it allows us to see reality but you know something have you ever done this experiment have three people stand in a corner and watch a, a traffic accident and then you ask them what did you yeah. see yeah and everybody sees it just a little bit differently mm-hmm. so part of what the internet does is allow people to express what they're seeing a little bit differently yes mm-hmm. the perspective aspect has been another really unique thing that we've learned throughout this whole journey of being 19 months in on this podcast so everyone has a different perspective and Whatever their talking point is, whether it's being an entrepreneur or whether it's um, being in the industry of uh, what was Dean Kilby in? Stem cell research. We're talking about stem cell research and his perspective on that and how he's growing healthcare. It was, I, it was I, I'm, inve- I'm invested in two stem cell companies. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. And we had one's we had an no animal idea. stem cell company. Mm-hmm. They help dogs. It's awesome. It works. It was so cool. And we learned this from this podcast, but yeah. I mean, we're always learning. And that's one of the coolest things. And I guess we'll leave you on this final question is, what did you learn today from the time that you woke up to this uh, engagement we've had on this uh, podcast? You know, I was, I was apprehensive coming down here a little bit. And I thought, these guys are, these guys are young. Uh, they're just getting going. And I thought, this will be fun. And, I, and, and uh, what did I learn today? I learned that um, two young people sitting with three microphones and a little energy can probably make and project a difference in the way people view opportunity uh, in an entrepreneurial market. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm, that's great. Awesome. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. Yeah, that. That's a great answer. I love that. Uh, thank you for coming on. This yeah. has been the longest podcast, but the most inspirational <laughs> podcast. Yes. Like, this is awesome. Like, the fact that I was locked in from, you know, the second we started to the last minute of it. And you know what? Like, I learned everything, man. As much as I could, I got it from you. I'm going to go back and listen again and pick up the spots I didn't get. But thank you so much. Yeah, and I didn't use half my farm expressions. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. 
I am a little bit exhausted. However, I'm still motivated and locked in as ever. Gordy called us out, dude. I think he realized that we. He's like, I, I hope I didn't take the wind out of your sails, or like you guys look hungry. I was he like, called, yeah, I think he said that twice. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we no, don't. No, I'm no, locked no, in. No, no, no. I was in denial the entire time. So I was, you know, thank you, Gordy. That was awesome. His story that he was talking when he went to India, um, and got to learn about that culture and how, I mean, just vast knowledge he was able to gain through that experience was super impactful. I mean, just doing something like that. And then how he um, went on to talk about when he sold his portion of the company of the New York or Chicago, whatever location, I think it was Minnesota and Chicago, actually. He had those, and then he had the India office, and he's like, I should have kept that one. And it was like everyone in in life has those minimal, reg- like those regrets about like, dang, if I would have done it this way. But you could tell he learned so much throughout every experience. Yeah, and what's crazy too, what I took away now reflecting back on it is like, oh my God, we can have him on again in a week and talk to him about like everything. And anything. And anything. And just go in so much more detail about such specific things. So, hey, we'll have Gordy on soon. Sounds like we need to get Al America on as well. Yes, that's a must. That's a must, absolutely. But hey, played for two national. Hold on, Alan played for two international teams. Yeah, that's bananas. The England and United States, and now he's like at the forefront of United States soccer, which is like one of my sneaky passions. Like that's big time. I'm I'm excited about that. Me too. Let's do the back end. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Usually you transition to it, but like I don't know. I was feeling it. You were. Sorry. I I outstepped my boundary, and that's why and that's why we interrupted each other. I thought the headphones would help out. They are. They're making me so locked in more than ever. I like I forget how much time we've been talking because. Of these headphones. I now understand why Joe Rogan can just like sit in his like Joe Rogan stance and just just talk for like three hours. Yeah, I'm not fidgety at all. Usually I'm the most fidgety, like out of control hand motion gestures of all time. And I haven't moved once. No. And what's awesome too is like I could I could easily do this for three hours. Like this is not a problem for me. No. And uh oh man, like Matt Christensen sent us uh, our one of our roommates, you know, big time. He works at Target. And big time deals guy. Yeah, loves deals. And he sent us like a da- – it was an Instagram from Dax Shepard who's like a big time comedian podcaster and showed his setup. And it had like couches. It looked like someone from Pot- Pottery Barn designed it, which is not like what we're trying to get at. But what I realized is like, dude, we suck. Suck. Our feng shui. Our feng shui. Yeah. Well, I looked at it initially and I was like, I don't know. We just see another thing, and then I like got a closer look on like exactly how the setup was. I was like, dude, that is the most casual, comfortable looking thing I've ever experienced. I want that, right? And like, think about when when we. I'm not gonna say if when we buy like really nice 4K cameras and we buy like two or three of them. Even though this GoPro's kicking strong, yeah, this GoPro's keeping up 29 minutes in a row now, which is not unheard of. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyways, like. You're gonna if you're gonna spend that much money on you know video recording devices, you better have something good and worthwhile to record. Yeah, the content of us talking is good, but like if we got couches and we got like a dartboard and you know we got like cool things going on the map. We do have uh, a dartboard. With, I, I said both things, but like if we can make these things come out to, of come out in life, oh, sure. or come, no, 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 come to life a little more. Now we're talking. Now we're talking game. Yeah, I also and just to touch on the mics too. Like, just hearing your voice or my, even my own voice just blasted into my own ears just makes me want to talk more. It's awesome. I, yeah, I kind of really do enjoy hearing my voice. I used to not. I used to, like, when I was editing, I used to cringe so much when I was editing it. And it'd be like, oh, my God, I sound like a dweeb and a dork. And, like, nothing that I say will ever 
anybody will ever want to listen to it. And now I'm like, I don't care. I just love hearing my voice. Yeah. I still think we treat like our podcast like we got like a, a, a miniature little, audience, a little Whoville like right here. Oh, 100%. I, I like look over here and I'm like, there's my audience. I know where they're sitting. That's why I think we crush a live show. Like give us an audience that'll pay attention to us and see what we can do. So anyone out there that's looking for uh, some some spots to fill, you know, maybe opening for a, a show or something, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But the back end, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, back Sorry, end. we got a side trip. That was uh, Sneaky Secrets. Sneaky Secrets. Should we speed round the back end just to crush it or just continue to... No, no, no. We'll try it. If whoever's <laughs> listening at this point, like whoever's gotten this far is not just going to not listen to the end, right? That's true. Like I'm trying to think of like the people... That are listening right now. What? What? So we don't really know the time frame we're running at. What do you think number? What? Okay. Um, yeah. At this point, like, screw it, dude. <laughs> um, let's see, because it was an. It was don't an do hour. math. Just guess. Say something. Oh, sorry, I'm doing math. Two fifteen. Two hour fifteen. Two hour fifteen. I'm thinking we're at two twenty eight. Mm, hot take. Hot take. What did you learn? Segment two twenty eight. Hopefully, we're earlier than that. I overshot it to hopefully, you know. Yeah. Compensate. Make yourself feel better. You're yeah. stressing out, dude. I am yeah, stressed. Just, just chill out. But what did I learn? Okay, let's do it. The back end members, thank you for making it this far. We appreciate you. You're definitely a tier above the rest. You know the drill. The back end. What did I learn? What did I learn today? Is that camp has officially started? Football camp. Football camp. And that was on this past Friday. The St. Thomas version. Many other football camps have started. And, uh, you know, I, I took a deep breath. I had a little bit of sorrow because, you know, I love playing football and I played it for 15 years or whatever, however long. But at the same time, I was like, I don't have football camp in August. And I was like thinking through my head, what else do I do in this August? And I'm like, dude, I love this month. It's hot still and I can enjoy it. And I don't have to like go to school, go to school and then put on shoulder pads and sweat my balls off and just... Yeah, and you know when it, it's one of those things where, uh, say, say you have like the entire day off, but you have like something at five p.m., like everything leading up to five p.m. you cannot like fully enjoy, and that's what this August to me feels like a little bit. It's phenomenal. Like, I love August now. I I used to hate August. Like I was just like, oh, you got school, you got to buy books. You yeah. Gotta... Well, the end of July, you were like. Literally was the, the last hoorah, right? It was the last hoorah. You treated it as one, thinking about all the things that you have to do this next month. And then two, as like, I need to celebrate every single minute I have right now because I'm not going to be able to do it again until next June or next May, whenever you end. Mm-hmm. And now we're like, dude, it's just us now. Yeah, I know. It's just us. Like, nothing's like changing about our, our days. No. I'm going to miss football more when it actually starts, when that first kickoff happens and like... Everyone in the colleges are going to tailgates. Absolutely. I'll miss those games for sure relatively quickly. But camp, I don't think I'll miss for 15, 20 years. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I agree. I'm not like looking forward to or missing practice at Mm. all or anything. So that's what I learned. Yeah, great. What did you learn? For me, it's kind of another story what I learned. But what I learned, I'll start with this, is when Rick Martinez says success leaves clues, I cannot – Again, I think we've said it once before. I'll say it again. I have not had that has not resonated more with me than it did today. And uh, oh my god! So we at work today, the CEO of our ten million dollar or ten billion dollar corporation, Sean Yancey, showed up for a little Q and A at our job site, and I was the first one. He uh, so they did like a site tour and then Q and A, uh, and I was the first one to raise my hand and I asked him like. 
how do you like uh, failure and like we fail all the time on a construction job like how do you respond and he responded like first of all I don't like using the word failure I like looking at it as another opportunity and I attack every single opportunity I learn how to grow from each opportunity and I my passion and what I've grown to do and what PCL grows to do is to grow people that attack failure and people that learn to problem solve. Like I hire problem solvers and then that that's the, our role on this job site. And I was like, damn, that fires me up. But I've heard that on this podcast multiple times. So I was like, you know what? If, if a CEO of a 10 or a multi-billion dollar corporation can do it, you know what? Boom. So can we. So can we. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Anyways, feel good story. Let's wrap it up here. Dave Meltzer, 50th birthday party this week. I mean, if you're ending on a positive note to spark up the marketing interns in any way, shape, or form, this is how you close. This is what coffee is for closers, and I think we're earning it this week because David Meltzer, first off, we talked about this, uh, which you'll hear in a little bit, uh, a few weeks with Ryan Downing. who was a marketing intern, and he, we, we spotlight him uh, just a few days ago. And uh, we talked about Dave Meltzer, but he was so grateful. We were so grateful to have him on, but he was just so generous to give us his time. And now we're going to experience him in his prime. Yeah, I can't just wait to give him a hug and tell him thank you and just, like, delivering the message to him and saying, like, hey, you helped make me better. Like, I love everything that you've done and like thank you so much for you know having a positive impact can't wait to do that and uh but there just needs to be more people like dave Meltzer out there go be like a dave Meltzer. and we know those marketing interns that are listening to this podcast at this very moment are exactly that yeah the people that make it to the back end to, that want to learn and grow and be intellectually curious like ourselves as much as we do are the ones that are going to make it big not saying that we will but those people out there absolutely will. And they're, those people fall in their passion, like Dave, like all those people, like the marketing interns. It's phenomenal. I love it. Just always living with a shit ton of energy. Take care, marketing interns. I can't wait. This is a horrible way to wrap up a show, but hey, thank you for sticking with us. That was amazing. Uh, let me, I'll give them one final. If you, oh, if, you here we go. if you don't like how we're finishing, then I'll just jump in right Finish here. it, dude. You guys have totally just given us more inspiration than you can even imagine. And this marketing intern spotlight that we've been doing and we will continue to be doing has just rejuvenated my authentic manner of providing content that, again, unlocks everyone's innate ability to be an entrepreneur, motivator, and influencer, and so much more than that. Within those three terms, there are so many more qualities that people have to be those terms that they are unlocking each and every day. And to have this experience with people in our age that are doing the same shoot, doing the same stuff has been, uh, it's been incredible. So you got you marketing interns. I love you guys. Yeah. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Podcast 63, big time guest. Let's get after it. Take care. Take care.